Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wisely. You want to know how I started this podcast? My father was a drinker and a fiend. And one day he got the bright idea to start a movie podcast. And that's the end of that story. It's Mike Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. <laughs> Joining me is a man who has danced with the devil in the pale moonlight. Mike Tricio. How you doing today, Mike? I am doing great. I, I had have nothing to even add or say. I'm not gonna do a bit because you did one and it was better. Okay, fair enough. So how are you, Mike? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, and joining us in this episode uh, also is our Rapture Press brother from over at the Review Zoo. Uh, Sam Harper is here. Welcome, Sam. Hello, hello. Bow, bow, bow. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yes. Please please throw that sound effect in whenever uh, anybody mm-hmm. does from now on, Mike. Just a little... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bow, yeah, bow, just bow. like a little half-hearted one, you know? Yeah. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> uh, so Sam, you you co-host uh, the review zoo over at uh, Rapture Press, uh, formerly with Andrew McDonald. He's not on the show anymore, right? Or he's gonna be kind of popping in and out. Uh, yeah, we'll be popping in and out. Okay, fair enough. Who's the new uh, Who's the new co-host on the show? Ed Gerard. Ed Gerard. All right. And you want to yes. uh, kind of give a quick rundown of the show in case people might want to check that one out? Okay. So uh, the review zoo is just a podcast of just a um, like you ever had like three guys just talking about comic book news just like angrily uh, that's us that, that was our old podcast actually um <laughs> yeah so then that's us and yeah you, you've heard this podcast but it's good you should totally listen to our podcast because we do it yeah yeah <laughs> fair enough yeah i did i did tune in uh recently you guys had like an emergency podcast about spider-man uh, uh that was pretty entertaining so uh yeah definitely uh, worth checking out especially for that and for all the upcoming any kind of comic book newsy stuff you want to check out the review zoo is where you go for that kind of stuff Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's why we had you on for this one, because we're talking about a comic book movie today, Sam. Yes, we are. We Technically. We're about a good one. Yeah, comic, a, a comic book movie in the loosest sense of the term, I guess. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Based on yes. the comic book by Precious. No, no. What was it? I can't remember. Based on the novel Pushed by Sapphire? Yes, oh, the Star Wars story. Yeah, Fast and Furious Presents. <laughs> Uh, all right, all, all the theme songs you're going to hear throughout this episode were created by Kyle Cullen, and our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt, or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Uh, if you ever want to contact us and respond to something we did in the show, you can email us over at MikeMikeGoToTheMovies at gmail.com. So today we're going to do some discussions in which uh, we all talk about whatever media we've been consuming lately, and then we're going to do a retrospective on the character of the Joker, specifically how he's been portrayed in film over the years. And of course... That will lead straight into our review of the new film from director Todd Phillips, Joker, a uh, dramatic reinterpretation of the character and his origins. Were you guys excited for Joker? Mike, I already know the answer for you. Sam, (laughs) were you excited for Joker? Uh, A mixed bag, because I was like, (laughs) this is, I guess, an interesting take on it. And then just like, Todd Phillips kept talking and and talking (laughs) and... And just had to keep talk. saying stuff. Right. He's going to keep saying stuff. But <laughs> I, overall, I think I was like a more than buzzed to see this movie. Okay, more than buzzed. That's, uh, I think, probably more than what Mike was at. Where, Mike, I feel like you were not uh, excited for this movie at all, really. Were you? <laughs> I mean, I started out, like, when they first announced it and, like, stuff very, like, last year or whenever, like, the first early stuff kept coming out. I was like, oh, yeah, this seems really cool. I was down for, like, this grounded 
uh, retelling of Joker, and then just like within the last two months, uh, like Sam said, just Todd Phillips, Todd Phillips kept talking, and uh, <laughs> I just don't, I have no time for that shit anymore. So I'll catch you later. <laughs> I went from like mildly interested to just zero, okay. <laughs> flat zero. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that, that's that's a whole separate discussion to think about everything that Todd Phillips was talking about. But uh, yeah, a Joker for me was like just this big question mark of a movie ever since it was announced. Like it's just such a weird. Like, it was so weird that they were making this movie in the first place, and then it was weird that it was apparently supposed to be decent. Like, it, the pieces, every piece of the movie was in play for it to be good, except for Todd Phillips directing the movie, <laughs> honestly. I and, mean, you know, Todd Phillips has made a couple movies that I liked. You know, I haven't seen The Hangover since I was, like, 16, but I liked it back then. Uh, you know, he made Old School and Road Trip and, you know, some shitty comedies back in the day that, like, I, I enjoyed back then. Uh, haven't watched a ton of them recently. Uh, I don't know how they hold up, but... Uh, you know, they, it's it was weird that he was the one making Joker, especially because everything surrounding this movie, like you got Joaquin Phoenix as Joker, who was like one of the best actors working today. Uh, I remember Scorsese was attached as a producer for a, a little while, like for maybe like a, wow. like a hot with, for a hot minute, which is kind of weird considering the stuff that uh, everything going on with Martin Scorsese and comic book movies over the last week. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, you know, Scorsese was attached for a bit. Robert De Niro got cast in the movie. Uh, you know, they they got a lot of talent behind the movie. The only big question mark was like, can Todd, can Todd the Hangover Phillips, uh, <laughs> be, great title, <laughs> be the guy to pull this off? So uh, we'll talk about everything we thought about Joker uh, later on in the episode when we get to our review. Uh, but first, we got to get into our discussions. Watch this. These are my discussions. Just when I thought I said all I could say, my buddy and I talk about movies we see. These are my discussions. There is so much to see, you and me. So we're going to talk about movies for our discussions. All right, it's time for our discussions here on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Sam, you are the guest today, so you're going to go first. What do you have to discuss with us today? Funny enough, the first one was a suggestion from this podcast. It was Midsummer. From what you guys were telling, was were saying in the podcast, I was definitely interested. And then, like, when I listened to the podcast, I was definitely, I was like, I'm ready to be really disturbed. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> I think I want to see, I think I want to be disturbed. I haven't yeah. been disturbed in a while, so let me check this out. And I was disturbed. Yeah. Good job, you guys. Uh, you didn't you didn't lie to me at all. This was definitely more of a disturbing movie than a scary movie. I yeah. saw this with my girlfriend and my brother. And like there were a lot of um, there were a lot of times where we had to pause and just like take a break and just try to like okay, what did we just I would be so scared to watch this with the significant other. I was gonna say the same thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I'm not going to, like, spoil anything, but the part where she rocked it in, that <laughs> went over kind of well. <laughs> that that wow. was definitely a five-minute, uh, we need a refreshing our drinks kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was definitely a lot of discussion afterwards. My brother told me he would never watch this movie again. Nice. But overall, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was interesting. I feel as though I should have been more of a film buff because... I feel like there was, like, parts in it where I was just like, well, this is really cool, and, like, they're doing something with the framing. I should totally, like, know this if I cared more about movies to know, like, (laughs) the technical terms. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. But you enjoyed the movie overall, you're saying? Oh, yeah. Like, I definitely can say I enjoyed it. I was definitely entertained. Nice. Did you watch watch the uh, theatrical cut or the uh, director's cut? I'm not sure if the director's cut is available uh, easily right now. Uh, So probably theatrical. Whatever you can rent on Amazon. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> probably the theatrical cut. I think the director's cut is only available on Apple TV for a little while. Um, yeah. And, pro- and probably not yet. I have no idea what the what the deal is with that yet. Um, God, I kind of want to see what that's all about now. It's about, it's about a half hour longer. Uh, it's already a pretty long movie. 
uh, but it's actually like we both saw the director's cut um, when it was in theaters, and we both were like, "This uh, it's actually like even better than the <laughs> than the yeah. original." It actually really? de- it, it deepens a lot of the uh, the uh, relationships and stuff like that. There's one scene about halfway through where it's like, "Holy shit, how did they cut this?" Um, but yeah, we uh, we talked about that. I forget which episode it was, but we did talk about it on the podcast at some point uh, after the review of, a- of actual Midsummer, obviously. Uh, so mm-hmm. so there is yeah. that too. <laughs> but, now I'm gonna watch it again. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, go find Enjoy. the director's cut. It's good stuff. Uh, all right, so that's Midsummer. And then you had uh, one more discussion you wanted to bring up, right? Yeah, so uh, I would always tell everyone that I feel like I'm a bad geek because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that's come out like like throughout the stuff, like throughout the years, like the last yeah. five to ten years that I have not been able to catch up on. So trying to rectify that, I've started watching Young Justice, which is the animated series on um, DC Unlimited or DC Online. DC... I can't remember what they call this. DC, uh, I'm using a trial pass. Is it DC Universe, the, uh, the streaming service you're talking about? Yes, okay. DC Universe. I think it's DC Universe, I, yeah. But the show used to be on Cartoon Network, I think, right? Yeah, I I saw that it was on Cartoon Network, but I was too busy doing other stuff, so I didn't get a chance to give it to him. And then it got canceled, and I was like, ah. Oh. And then like I was checking how great it was, and then it got brought back, and I was like, woo. And now it's renewed for a... Yeah, I do sound effects. And now it's renewed for a, a fourth season. So I'm like, okay, you know what? This show is like, it's got a well-received buzz. Let me just continue watching it. Because after Firefly, I kind of wanted to wait for shows to make it past the season three for me to like invest again because I don't want to hurt again. Yeah. So I've been watching Young Justice and I got to tell you as someone who like grew up watching the Batman Superman adventures and Justice League and Justice League Unlimited this is if you love those stuff you're going to love this stuff. It's about like the pretty much the sidekicks of all the original Justice League members and stuff and they're creating their own group and they're going on missions and stuff but it's tackled really well it's this, the writing is really well um, well done uh, the animation is crisp. It's like, and it's like covering characters that I haven't read in, uh, read about in a while. Like they were just one-off characters, but they brought them with such like, like such new like styles that it gives me like, it kind of makes me interested. In, like, oh, let me read up on these guys again because I haven't like, who cares about Blockbuster or the Guardian? <laughs> oh, okay, well, now I do. But because you know, Young Justice is brought in, but still makes you want to you know, watch it for like the original you know, Batman and Superman and stuff like that. It's 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 a good series. If I I suggested. To anyone who, who loves DC or loves superheroes and stuff like that, or just you know, just a fan of cartoons in general, it's really well done. Cool, yeah, I've, I've been hearing about that show for years and uh, have never got around to it because I haven't really watched a ton of the like. I used I used to watch like Batman animated series and like all that stuff when I was a kid. I haven't really watched like a lot of the shows post like I don't know the mid two thousands. Um, but I've heard Young Justice is amazing, uh, and it's one of those things I feel like I should check out. And yet you said it got renewed for a new season, like um, yes, on DC so- Universe. Yeah, so uh, the first two seasons came out, and then they were canceled. Like after that, it was canceled, and then um, it was released on Netflix for a while. And Netflix is—it's kind of like the Family Guy effect, where so many people were watching it over and over again. They okay. kind of brought it back out of obscurity. And so when it, it was announced that it was going to be when DC Unlimited, sorry, DC Online, became a thing, they uh, they released season three, one half, when it first came out, and then they released the second half. And now it's uh, done, so now they're going to start season. And then they announced that they're going to make a season four. So. Nice. Okay, cool. cool. So, yeah, I think it's DC Universe also. You get, I feel like... DC not, Universe, DC not, Online, DC yeah, something. None of us actually have a good, firm idea of what it's called, but I know DC is in the title somewhere. Yes. <laughs> so, so there is that. Uh, all right, so that's Young Justice, and it's on whatever DC streaming service is called. <laughs> whatever DC streaming service. Uh, but worth checking out. Sounds awesome. Uh, all right, Mike, what's uh, what do you got for discussions today? I have uh, just a few things. The first uh, two are... Uh, some rewatches of uh, Danny Villeneuve movies. You know, we're we're big fans of him on the show here. Sure. And uh, one of my friends uh, is kind of like 
becoming aware of cinematography. Like she started, we were talking about something and she was like, oh man, the way this was shot was really cool. And she saw, I think it was uh, the Goldfinch, uh, which was also shot by, which is shot by Roger Deakins. Uh, okay. I was like, I was like, well, you got to see Sicario and you got to see Prisoners. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't think she's gotten around to it, but I watched them because they're fucking great. And I love these two movies. So you recommended them to somebody and you were like, you know what? I should watch these movies again too. <laughs> You know what? Great recommendation, me. Um, and I went and, went and watched them, um, and they're great. They're they're fucking awesome. Uh, that's yeah. go watch them. That's all. Fair enough. That's that. Uh, and then I watched two things uh, for the first time. The first of which is I think it's 1983's The Big Chill. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not even claiming that people always think they're doing the right thing. They may know that they're doing something uh, dishonest or insensitive or manipulative, but they almost always think there's a good reason for doing it. See, they almost always think that it'll turn out for the best in the end. And even if it's just that it turns out best for them. Because by definition, what's best for them is what's best. Mm-hmm. Now look, in addition, you instantly come up against a question of style. My style may be too uh, uh, direct. Perhaps given my style, I seem more nakedly opportunistic or jerky or... Uh, what was the other thing? Uh, manipulative? Whatever. Mm-hmm. But really all that's happening is that I'm trying to get what I want which is what everybody does. It's just that some of their styles are so warm or charming or sincere or otherwise phony, you don't realize they're just trying to get what they want. So you see, my transparent efforts are in a way much more honest and admirable. Why is it what you just said strikes me as a massive rationalization? Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? I don't know anyone who'd get through the day without two or three juicy rationalizations. They're more important than sex. Ah, oh, come on. Nothing's more important than sex. Oh, yeah? Have you ever gone a week without a rationalization? By, uh, directed by Lawrence Kasdan, right? Lawrence Kasdan, who uh, was the co-writer of Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, recently co-wrote Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, oh, prestigious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also directed several movies, including uh, Body Heat, which is an awesome noir from the 80s. Uh, William Hurt and Kathleen Turner. But yeah, The Big Chill. Uh, I, I saw this movie, I think, like last year, two years ago, something like that. But uh, I like oh, it wow. a lot. Curious uh, what you think. Yeah, yeah. Th- this came about because uh, there's another podcast I listen to called Screen Screen Drafts. And uh, on that podcast, they have a topic like best top seven, and it's a, a host of people, and they draft one at a time, one title at a time, yeah. definitive lists. And they did a uh, episode on mixtape movies, and okay. uh, that's the big chills, big uh, you know kind of claim to fame. Pop in pop culture is known for having one of the best soundtracks and stuff, and it is amazing. And the soundtrack all flows directly, it ties directly into whatever's going on in the scene and stuff like that. And it's all big pop hits. Uh, so I was like, you know what? I've never seen it. I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. And, like, I'm not really sure if I liked it or not. I mean, it's one of those... Uh, the, the basic plot is there's a group of friends, uh, I guess college friends or high school friends, they don't really say. Um, and one of them has committed suicide, and the rest of the group get back together for the funeral, and it's just them at a house for the weekend uh, drinking and, and hanging out and just, like, you know, talking about their relationships and what their lives and stuff. And, like, it, they kind of all suck, is the thing. Like, all the people kind of <laughs> suck. Um, the performances are all amazing. It's got uh, William Hurt, Glenn Close, Kevin Kevin Klein, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Yep. Megan Tilly? Or her sister? Which Tilly? It's one of the Tillys, I forget. Uh, yeah, I think it's Megan Tilly. It's been a while. It's been, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's not the one that's not right the now. Bride of Chucky. <laughs> I think that's Jennifer Tilly, right? That's Jennifer Tilly, yes. Okay, so not her. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, like, all the performances are really good. The music is kind of is used really cool. Like, the opening credits is, is like, a montage of the various friends finding out that this friend has committed suicide and it's uh, heard it through the grapevine is playing. Like, you know, right. like, it's clever, interesting uses of the music. Uh, but, like, I just it's just them hanging out, and it's just, like, a 
people talking and they all kind of suck. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I wasn't really engaged. I didn't relate to any of them, uh, you know, in that kind of level. And it's just like a hangout movie. You got to like hanging out with these characters. And I didn't really. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see that. I, I remember it is a hangout movie and they are all kind of bad people. But I found them engaged. Like, I remember when I watched it, I was like pretty engaged by uh, just the way those characters are drawn. But uh, did you know that uh, the corpse in the movie played by uh, Kevin Costner? What? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. His wrist? That's his. Ke- that's his Kevin wrist. Costner's uh, wrist. There, there was like apparently a flashback scene. They, I think they were supposed to shoot, or they did shoot, but it ended up getting cut from the movie. Uh, that would have featured Kevin Costner as that character, but uh, he it was cut from the movie, so it's just his wrist that you see in the. <laughs> that's amazing. In, in the final film. Yeah, there's like this big emotional thing, like this undercurrent through the movie of Ke- Kevin Klein like trying to plan insider trading with his friends. Right. And it's like. <sighs> You fucking suck, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I mean, it's it's cool. Like, you know, I think it's only two hours or something. Like, maybe not even. Yeah. Um, it's like I don't know. It's kind of worth checking out in like a kind of uh, like ar- ar- artifact sense, like just to see a movie. Like, it is you know, a, I think a definitive like boomer movie because it's them in the eighties, kind of in yes. their sort of you know mid thirties kind of deal <laughs> thing going on. So I don't know. It's that that's that's the big chill. And then the next one I have is a big old goof called Dead Detectives. Oh. <laughs> and this is a I Shudder mean, original title. movie. Yeah, it's a Shudder original movie. I had some friends over for the weekend uh, this past weekend to do like board games and drinking and stuff. And it was like a midnight on Saturday night and we were like, okay, we can't we don't have enough mental fortitude to play a board game right now. Let's watch some stupid fucking horror movie. And uh, <laughs> we settled on Dead Detectives. And uh this is a story, it's it's kind of weird how similar it is to Los Spookies, uh, which I praised recently. Yes. Um, but this is a story about a group of fake paranormal investigators that have a TV show, uh, like, a, like, you know, a Ghost Hunters thing. Yeah. And uh, they stage all the episodes, and they like are, their ratings are in the tubes, and they need a big finale. So they go to, like, the most haunted house in Mexico. Um, and well, maybe it's real this time. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, they're in over their heads because they're faking it the whole time. They were, have been faking it, right? And it's and it's good. It's funny, you know. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how it is basically just the same thing as Los Spookies, but like the inverse, where they were a bunch of people that are into real real haunting, quote unquote, and then get hired to make fake ones. Um, this is fake people that get brought into a thing with real hauntings. Yeah, and it's and it was it's good. It's a tight ninety minutes, I think, uh, and it's like slapstick, gory stuff sometimes, and. Some decent enough effects and some j- jump scares and stuff, but it's it's funny. It's just a goof, you know. It's one of those kind of things. All right, fair enough. So that's Dead Detectives, and that's a Shutter original. You said. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, speaking of like really, I didn't put this in my list of discussions, but speaking of like weird Shutter movies, uh, I found this movie from the '80s on Shutter that I read the title. Uh, I'm trying to think of what it was. It was a uh, oh yeah yes it was Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. Uh, I think I've heard of that on there. I saw that and I was like, well, I got to watch this. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Like the title alone sold me on the movie. Uh, And basically it's a movie about like a couple of like uh, horny nerds who are trying to like watch the sorority as they're like, you know, inducting some new members. Uh, They get caught. And so they have to go break into a a bowling alley uh, as punishment with two of the sorority girls uh, to steal a bowling trophy. Uh, But when they steal the bowling trophy, like they drop it and it breaks and this imp comes out. Uh, like this devilish ghoul imp and he starts granting their wishes until he turns evil uh, and he's just ter- terrorizing them the entire movie. It's bonkers. Uh, That's <laughs> and it's, amazing. And I watched it on Shudder recently so if people want to check out Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama it's definitely a uh, one of those 80s horror movies horror comedies 
that we would probably see it like uh, the Hudson Horror Show when the, they used to do that uh, back yeah. in the day. Is it a Corman joint? Uh, no? no, it's not a Roger Corman movie, I don't believe. Okay. Uh, but it does it does feature a lot of uh, like prominent screen queens of the eighties. Uh, one of them was in Slum Party Massacre. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, one of them was in, uh, there was a couple other like you know kind of known names in there. Not like you know a list names, but but people who are like recognizable from other B horror movies. There's somebody else from uh, Return of the Living Dead actually too. Uh, so yeah, worth worth checking out. That was completely unrelated to my actual discussions. But uh, <laughs> since you brought up Shudder, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. I watched Sorority Babes in the Slamball Bolorama because I can't not watch a movie with that title. It's uh, basically what it is. Uh, you just gave me a drinking game. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. Now I got a few discussions of my own to get through. Uh, first of all, this past weekend was the Montana Film Festival, the fifth annual Montana Film Festival, which is held at the uh, Roxy Theater, the uh, indie theater by my house in Missoula, Montana. Uh, and uh, so it was, you know, around the corner of my house. I was like, well, I got to go check out a couple of movies at the Montana Film Festival. Uh, they had a bunch. I think they had something like, uh, it was a four-day festival. It's not like a huge, it's not like Sundance or anything like that. But it's, you know, just kind of a cool thing where indie movies come through. Uh, some Sometimes producers show up and like do Q&As afterwards and things like that. Uh, I ended up getting to see three movies at the uh, film festival. Uh, first of which was called Swallow, which was this uh, thriller that was actually shot uh, in upstate New York, in Highland. Uh, oh, really? Which, and I saw, and I recognized some of the locations. And I was like, hey, it's my hometown. This is so weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's a thriller shot in Highland uh, about a woman played by Haley Bennett who is uh, married into, who just entered into this marriage. She just got pregnant, but she feels like she's not in control of her life. She's kind of just a stay-at-home uh, housewife type deal. Uh, and so she starts swallowing different items in the house uh, in order to like, feel something. So it like, starts out like she swallows a marble, and then she swallows like a thumbtack, and it's just like the things start to escalate from there. Uh, wow. And it's pretty wild. It's a pretty, it's a pretty solid movie. Uh, Haley Bennett was in um, the Magnificent Seven remake. She was the girl in that movie, um, the one who looked like Jennifer Lawrence but wasn't. Um, right, uh, and she's very good in the movie. She's really good, and uh, the movie ends uh, at the uh, Gallery of Mall in White Plains. And I was like, "Hey, there's the Gallery of Mall in White Plains." Uh, <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so yeah, that's Swallow, which is a pretty solid movie. Uh, Lucky Grandma was another movie I saw at the Montana Film Festival, which was a crime film set in Chinatown uh, about an elderly woman who steals money from a gang and tries to keep them from getting it back. Um, like so she's she's on like this uh you know trip to go she's she's on this trip to the casino and she's doing really well and then she comes back from the casino she's sitting next to this guy uh this guy the guy next to her dies just like has a heart attack and dies um and she like looks in his bag and she sees like a whole bunch of money and so she just takes it uh and then the entire movie is like her she hires a bodyguard and like the other gang is like just trying to get the money back from her uh and it's another kind of like crime sort of comedy movie and uh, it's pretty solid i think it's pretty good most of it's in uh, chinese uh, and then finally, my favorite movie at the Montana Film Festival uh, was this movie called Greener Grass, which is this very surreal comedy uh, featuring Beck Bennett from SNL, Darcy Carden from The Good Place, a couple of other uh, comedy people in there too. Uh, and it's this weird kind of surrealist take on the Stepford Wives or The Village uh, or <laughs> something like that. But it's about the strange lives of these families living in the suburbs together. Uh, and it's one of the weirdest movies I've seen in a long time. Uh, and... I watch a lot of weird movies, so that's kind of saying something. <laughs> uh, but it's it's really interesting. I I don't know how much of an audience a movie like this will have, but uh, it's really great. The other uh, two uh, lead female characters are also the writers and the directors of the movie, and uh, I forget their name. one of them's named Jocelyn something, and I forget what the other one's name is. Uh, again, I, I kind of just threw these on there as like uh, Montana Film Festival uh, type deals, but uh, really enjoyed that movie. And the producer Natalie Mesker. Um, came out afterwards and uh she was there to do a q, a q and a and stuff like that kind of explained some of the 
uh, weirder aspects of the movie and how it's put together. So that was pretty cool. So uh, green uh, of the movies that I saw, Greener Grass, I think is the one that is uh, definitely worth checking out the most, uh, just because it's one of those things where it's like really you got to see it to people. It, it almost reminded me of Dogtooth, um, wow. but like but like a much less disturbing version of Dogtooth, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, Again, just really got to be seen to be believed. But yeah, so that is uh, the Montana Film Festival. Uh, That was the fifth annual one. It was actually, I was here for when it happened last year, the fourth annual. Uh, I didn't go to any of the main, like the actual movies they were showing, but I did go to the uh, the one night only featured screening they showed last year, which was Mandy, starring Nicolas Cage. Uh, (laughs) uh, And so that was a pretty awesome time. But uh, yeah, so this year I got to actually experience a little bit more of the festival. uh, And that was pretty cool. So, yeah, that's the Montana Film Festival. And then I had a few other uh, things I wanted to uh, get to in my discussions. First of which is uh, a new movie, uh, a new Netflix original that I, I had wanted to watch a little while ago. It came out in like August, I think. Um, but I finally got around to watching it. It's a new 70-minute movie on Netflix based on one of my favorite cartoons when I was a kid. Uh, it's Invader Zim, Enter the Florpus. I need you to use the power of your Urkin robot brain to create a song about peace. One so inspiring, the children will have no choice but to peace harder. Like this? <laughs> no, girl. Uh, were you guys Invader Zim fans when you were kids, uh, by any chance? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I got it, but yes. You don't think you got it? What do you, what do you mean? Like, you didn't, like... <laughs> I, just, like, I, I kind of just, like, sort of watched it, and it was fun, but, like, I don't think I... If I watched it now, I think I would like it a lot more than I remember liking it. Yeah, I mean, I was a big fan of Invaders. I remember... I actually remember the night it premiered, because it premiered the same night as uh, The Fairly Odd Parents. Uh... <laughs> And I was a big a fan me- of momentous both. night. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. And I was a big fan of both of those shows, and I was hyped for both of them when they were about to premiere. Because I was like, "Oh man, these look so good!" Uh, and I watched them both, and I was like, "All, all in on both of them." Uh, but Invader Zim always had like a special place in my heart because a, it only lasted like two seasons on Nickelodeon um, right. because it was such a darker show than pretty much everything else Nickelodeon was airing at the time, uh, and went into a lot weirder territory. Um, so obviously, <laughs> again, I, I appreciate the weird stuff, I guess, but. Uh, Invader Zim uh, Enter the Florpus is a sort of continuation of the show like Nickelodeon has been recently doing revivals of a lot of their older stuff they did like a Hey Arnold movie and they did uh, a Rocko's Modern Life movie uh, which was also on Netflix uh, which I have not watched um, and I think they recently brought back all that as like a, a new sketch show and things like that but yeah now they have this new Invader Zim movie uh, which is written by uh, Yonan Vasquez the original creator of Invader Zim uh, and it's a blast it feels like uh, if you like Invader Zim you're gonna like this movie it's pretty much the same thing it's a also a fitting finale to the show I think because uh, it never really got an actual finale and uh, it, it's it just it plays it plays really well with the, the tension between Zim and Div and actually makes Zim feel like a credible villain for a little bit uh, which is something that the show never really did that often. So it's kind of wow. nice to see that take on it. Uh, but it's also really silly and goofy, and there's stuff that made me laugh very, very hard. Uh, so yeah, it's Invader Zim, Enter the Florpus. It's 70 minutes long, so it's very easy to uh, watch over on Netflix uh, when you get a chance. Uh, and then finally, I had a couple of uh, independent movies I wanted to uh, talk about pretty, uh, pretty briefly. The first of which uh, is a movie that played at Sundance this past year, called Britney Runs a Marathon. Uh, and this is a new movie uh, directed by Paul Downs Kalizo. It stars Jillian Bell from uh, 22 Jump Street. She was the villain in that movie. Uh, and she was on Workaholics, I believe. Uh, and it's a pretty solid indie dramedy. Uh, she plays an overweight woman who decides to try and start living healthier and ultimately sets the goal of running the New York City Marathon. 
that's pretty much it. It's just like about this girl, about this girl getting her life together, basically. Uh, Jillian Bell's great. Got a fun supporting cast. Uh, includes Michaela Watkins, uh, Lodwell Howery's in this movie. Uh, it's just a nice, just a nice little movie. Uh, as opposed to the next movie I'm talking about, which is the complete opposite of a nice little movie, and that is The Nightingale, directed by Jennifer Kent. Have you heard of The Nightingale, Mike? I have, yes. Okay. Are you familiar with anything about what it's like actually about, or like some of the content that's in The Nightingale? No, I know it's directed by the director of Babadook. Uh, that's correct. Which I okay. was still too scared to... I still haven't finished it. Wait, you the still Babadook. haven't finished Babadook? <laughs> I never went back and watched the second half. Oh my uh, god, that's the best half! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I do know one friend uh, went to see Nightingale, I think not knowing anything about it, and he was so disturbed he left. Like, was like I don't like uh, I don't know how long into it, but he was like, I'm out. I can't I, do it. I can, I can tell you exactly how long uh, into, <laughs> into it that was. Uh, yeah, you're no, making me really excited for this movie. I just got to tell you. I mean, I, I, I want to say the Nightingale. I I like this movie a lot, um, but I think it's a very tough movie to watch and a tough movie to recommend to people. Um, but if you can handle it, I found it very rewarding. Basically, the movie takes place in 1825 uh, and follows a young Irish woman uh, working as an indentured servant uh, for British colonists in Australia. Uh, in the first 20 minutes of the film, there's a very very graphic scene uh, that involves a rape uh, and a murder. Uh, and it's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in a movie, uh, wow. genuinely. And it is, when I saw it, they, they showed it at the Roxy Theater uh, here in Missoula, Montana, the indie theater of my house. And when I was there, it, it was a one-night-only screening, so it was, it was a fairly packed show because it was the only time where you were going to get to watch it here in Missoula. And when that scene came on, I, I would say like almost half my theater got up and left at some point. Wow. Uh, like throughout it. Uh, like almost half my theater left, and like most of them did not come back. Uh, like it's it is that brutal it is that brutal and intense and again it, like you got to know that going in that you have to be like mentally prepare yourself for that uh like i knew there was some i, I knew that this movie was supposed to be intense and brutal and even i was like Ugh, god this is this is bad but once you once you make it past that scene uh and again it's it the, the brutality has a purpose to it like it feels purposeful it's not like exploitative or anything like that um but it's just it's very just tough to watch it's very difficult to sit through um but then once you get past it um it's about this woman uh teaming up with this aboriginal person in australia to kill the men who did this to her it's essentially this very prestige version of a rape revenge movie and it's brutal and it's unpleasant uh but it's a powerful narrative about the horrors of colonialism uh and it's anchored by some very terrific performances uh the lead actress is uh, aisling franciosi who appeared on game of thrones for a couple of episodes she was a uh, leanna stark ned stark's sister um, oh yeah yeah okay. so she's the lead actress here and uh Bekali ganambar plays the uh, aboriginal person uh, that she teams up with and he's great too uh sam claflin from the hunger games uh also in this movie as like as the um main bad guy uh he's just like you hate him so much every time he's on screen uh and damon harriman also who's on justified and who played charles manson in uh, once upon a time in hollywood and mindhunter uh he is in this movie too and also just hateable very hateable uh, in the movie so uh the nightingale it's well it's worth watching but I, I it's tough to be it's tough to say like hey you should watch this because like it'll right. ruin it'll ruin your day basically uh but it's but it's very very good i don't think it's as good as the babadook which is basically a perfect movie um <laughs> but it's a it's a more it's an ambitious follow-up to the babadook and a really interesting uh, direction for Jennifer Kent to go in because it definitely feels like it's indebted to the same kind of horror stuff that the Babadook is going for, but it feels like it's aiming for something a lot like uh, completely different at the same time. But, I mean, yeah. that, that's the the third big follow up uh, between Jordan Peele, Ari Aster, and now her, uh, and like Jennifer sophomore Kent. crazy. Yeah, well, we're also getting uh, Robert Eggers' uh, new movie, the guy who did oh, the Witch, my God. Uh, The Lighthouse, coming out soon. I too. forgot. 
Yes. Oh man, I saw the trailer for that uh, recently, and I was just like, "What the what?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's coming out, and then actually, um, David Robert Mitchell just followed up. It follows with Under the Silver Lake, uh, which is also very good too. Uh, so yeah, well, all those movies worth checking out. A lot of talented uh, horror filmmakers doing really interesting stuff right now. Um, but anyway, yeah, that is The Nightingale. Uh, it played for one night only here in Missoula. So if you're in Missoula, probably won't get a chance to see it anytime soon. But <laughs> <laughs> but I know it is playing in like some indie theaters around the country uh, throughout. Uh, I think it, I think it was released back in like August officially. Um, but it's probably gonna hit VOD pretty soon too. Uh, so yeah, that is The Nightingale, and I believe that wraps up our discussions, guys. Let's move on into our retrospective. Can we fast forward or is this live TV? All right, it's time for the uh, retrospective on the Joker. Guys, Joker, he is uh, one of the most iconic comic book characters of all time. Uh, made his debut in Batman number one in 1940. So like the very first issue of Batman, wow. Joker was there. Since then, he is he is genuinely like as far as comic book villains go, I feel like the Joker is the definitive. Like, there's no he has no peer basically. There's no there's nobody on the Marvel or DC side that can equal the Joker in terms of like just cultural ubiquitousness. Uh, before we get into all the uh, stuff here, because we're gonna go, kind of go through the history of the Joker on film, uh, are you guys fans of the Joker as a character? Sam, you can go first. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you just define fan. Okay. Uh, do, uh. Uh, are are you um, do you appreciate that when the Joker appears uh, in a comic or on screen or in TV or do you like the Joker as a foil to Batman or anything I like, like that? him as a foil to Batman. I like him as a like I I have this thing where I say I appreciate good villainy. Joker is a good villain. You need that type of villain to like spicing up something. Like everyone can have like a master plan. Joker usually is not so much a master planner, right? But scary nonetheless. Yeah, I'm not like all too familiar with uh, Joker deep di- like deep dive Joker stuff, but yeah, I think that idea of just someone that represents like pure chaos and just like has no plan and was still somehow effective is scarier than I think like Sam- like the- like scarier than Lex Luthor, you know, whose whole thing is that he has a plan and he's a genius right. or whatever. Uh, exactly. Uh, Joker is just like I don't know. I'm gonna kill a bunch of people. And I'll figure it out, and he does, <laughs> and it's scary. Right. <laughs> and- and that's the thing. Sometimes he's written where he, you know, he kills a bunch of people and, you know, he'll just figure it out. Or sometimes he's written like, oh, no, I killed all those people. Those actually were each of them were an employee that you were going to take out for the career day. I did that to personally piss you off. <laughs> oh my god right so yeah i mean the joker has there's been a bunch of different interpretations of the joker over the years a lot of different writers have tackled the character a lot of different artists a lot of different actors uh on film the character has been featured in seven movies across 50 years um and each time he's been played by a different actor which i think is interesting um you know a huh. lot of t- a lot of times in comic books like somebody will play a role and then you know they'll play it for a couple of movies especially in the modern age of comics uh, comic book movies where you know somebody gets locked down for a 15 movie contract uh, <laughs> and that kind of thing uh but the joker is a is a unique character because he's somebody that um you know he's been played by a lot of like really big name actors uh and a lot of those performances are considered like you know definitive joker performances or some of the biggest like the best performances of those actors careers uh and that kind of thing so i think it's gonna we're gonna run down basically the entire history of the joker on film uh, starting with his first uh, film appearance, which was in Batman the Movie from 1966. Time is getting short. We've got to get Batman before he gets us. 
Mm, perhaps I could lure him into the fatal embrace of a giant exploding octopus. You silly bird. They've just been through one of your fishy explosions, and they're still in one piece. Indeed? And I suppose they'll be broken up by your moldy joke. Oh, shut, up. shut up, all of you. I see the way to do it. We'll play each of our treacherous trumps in one hand, and we'll do it right here. How? How? The end. The end. Oh. <laughs> we shall spring them from the Joker's Jack in the Box through that window out over the sea and into the waiting arms of the penguins' exploding octopus. <laughs> the trigger, one of my riddles, of course. And the bait? <laughs> you, Catwoman, you're mad, Riddler. But the minute Batman spots her, he'll bop her with a batarang. You don't understand, Joker. She will be disguised as Kitka, and as Kitka, she shall lure some millionaire into a kidnap trap. Of course, with a clever clue pointing here. Oh, which will make Batman race to the rescue. Capital! <laughs> uh, have either of you guys seen Batman the movie? I have not, but I think I've seen only one scene with a bat shark repellent. Is that from the I movie? Mean, that is from the movie, yes. It's okay, then yes. <laughs> That's from that movie? Okay, yeah. then yes, I have seen, also seen that scene. Okay, uh, so you've seen that scene, but not the movie? No, I've not seen that Okay, movie. well, you guys, are miss- <laughs> you guys are missing out, because Batman the movie fucking rocks. It's so good. <laughs> uh, I think it might have been the first Batman movie I ever watched. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I must have been like seven or eight uh, at the time when I watched it. I think... I, me and my dad watched it on like TCM or something uh, back then. But uh, yeah, we watched it back then. I actually, one of my fondest uh, movie watching memories is at like maybe a year or so after that, I was stuck, um, you know, clothes shopping with my parents. We were, I think we were in Sears and my mom and my dad and brother and my sister, uh, we were all just kind of walking around and I was so bored, you know, because I was nine years old and we're walking around Sears. Uh, <laughs> and we were walking past and there was a very small TV in Sears and it was playing Batman the movie. Uh, and so I ended up just standing there and then my dad ended up joining me and my brother ended up joining me and me, my dad and my brother just stood there in front of this like 10 inch TV, uh, watching a black and white version of Batman the movie for like over That's an amazing. hour. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was great. But yeah, Batman the movie is an, is, is a lot of fun. Uh, obviously it's based on the, um, the Adam West Batman TV show. Uh, and so it has a lot of the actors from the TV show reprising their roles in the movie, including the actor who played the Joker, Cesar Romero. Uh, so he originated the role in the show, and then he actually got more to do in the TV show. Basically, the plot of the movie uh, is that the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, and Catwoman have all teamed up to take over the world. Uh, and it's a hilarious scene when they discover that that is their plan, because, you know, it's, it's one of those things where they realize they're all working together, and Batman and Robin are trying to deduce, like, what, what could their plan be? Uh, and the commissioner's like, oh, could it be to take over the city? And he's like, hmm, if it was two of them, I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you think the whole country if it was three i would say yes <laughs> no <laughs> with all four i think their plan is to take over the world <laughs> and that is exactly what their plan is oh my uh, God. it's ludicrous it's great uh but the, the joker is more of a side character in this movie as a result uh you know the, the real mvp of batman the movie is frank gorshin as the riddler who gets to really ham it up and actually he like just honestly he feels more like the joker than the joker does uh, in this movie uh have you guys seen the batman tv show at all with the uh, cesar romero uh playing the joker i've seen a couple of episodes uh, yeah probably same for me that's not okay. one that i ever went out of my way to watch a lot of 
Gotcha. I mean, you guys, again, missing out. It's a great show. Um, but uh, Romero, I, I really like him as the Joker because he is a, I think he's perfectly in keeping with the show's comic tone. Like he's, you know, playing the Joker as this goofy kind of clown character. Uh, very famously refused to shave his mustache for the role. Right. Um, meaning that uh, even in Batman the movie, like if you watch it, like they cake the makeup over his mustache. So you can see his mustache showing through the makeup. <laughs> it's pretty great. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, Cesar Romero, the very first Joker uh, ever portrayed on film uh, and that kind of set the bar for a very long time uh, the Joker would not be tackled again for another 20 plus years uh, and that would be in Tim Burton's 1989 Batman uh, with Jack Nicholson uh, as the Joker tell me something my friend you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight what I always ask that of all my prey I just like the sound of it <laughs> another man's rhubarb <laughs> why is it every time we get comfy somebody always gets in the way i'll need a moment alone boys i'm only laughing on the outside my smile is just skin deep if you could see inside, I'd be crying. You might join me for a week. <laughs> I'm assuming you guys have seen this one. Yes. yes. Okay. That was my first Batman movie. Was it? Okay. Uh, so are you a fan of uh, Batman 89, Sam? Yes, I am. I, right. I am a very fan. I'm a fan of it, the whole thing. Like, it was... <laughs> like... I think I saw that recently, and it still holds up, to my, in my opinion. For a Batman coming out in the 80s, no, that was good. Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I haven't watched the original Batman 89 in a while. I've always preferred Batman Returns, um, just because that's the one where they just let Tim Burton get fucking weird with it. Uh, <laughs> that's, you know, Catwoman and Penguin and just going, like, weird, gothic nonsense. Uh, but I've always liked the 89 version, too, and Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Uh, and that was long considered, like, the iconic portrayal of the character, uh, you know, for a long time. I remember before The Dark Knight came out, people were like, "Like nobody can replace Jack Nicholson as the Joker. That's the version of the Joker <laughs> that, you know, and that kind of thing. Uh, so, Mike, are you, what's your take on Batman 89, out of curiosity? I haven't seen it in a really long time. I feel like you might have made us watch it in college or something. It might have been Batman Returns. Um, it was probably Batman Returns. If I made you watch a Batman movie, it was probably Batman Returns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. But I did see uh, uh, a lot of stuff, you know, people talking about joker things like on reddit and everything recently you know with the movie coming out and talking about uh suicide squad and how like doing a gangster joker is like what is cool like could have been really cool and everyone's like how dare you forget about jack nicholson doing like edwin g robinson as the joker Uh, (laughs) and that's pretty awesome i don't really remember too much of it um but uh, yeah i I remember being good being silly you know it's that movie is much more comic book than uh the stuff we got after 2000 (laughs) that's um, true yeah that's true uh yeah i think this movie is still a blast to watch and i think nicholson is a blast watching the movie too uh my opinion is that it's it's more it's less of nicholson doing the joker and more nicholson just doing nicholson um but a more like heightened version of that 
uh, which you know is awesome. Like it's it's so much fun to watch. Uh, and I I've I've never really been a fan of the way the movie gives the Joker an origin story though. The way um like he gives he gets a name Jack Napier and you see how he became the Joker and he falls into that of acid and it reveals that he was the one who killed Bruce Wayne's parents. Uh, and you know the Joker to me generally works better when you know nothing about his past and he's just like this weird chaotic figure, which um. I guess bodes poorly for Joker 2019 when we talk about it later. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, to, to me, so that, that aspect of the movie I've never been the biggest fan of. But I love Jack Nicholson's performance as the Joker in the movie. I think he's a blast. Uh, and Sam, I know we said like you like the movie. What, what's your take on Jack Nicholson as the Joker? Kind of like you guys say about Cage going full Cage. I feel as though he went full Nicholson on that one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was like, and I was here for it. Like, that yeah. was like, okay, yes, this is... This is the perfect vehicle for you to be fully yourself and just go all zany and shit and still be scary. And I feel as though after I saw that movie, that's when like that's when I felt Jack Nicholson started to have kind of like that almost evil, charming swagger. Yeah. Like that's in his movies. <laughs> like he was just like, yeah, no, I got you got to see it. You see where it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's totally fair. Uh, so yeah, that was Batman 1989, and I think a lot of people would skip this next one and go straight to The Dark Knight. But this one did come out in theaters, so I did want to mention it. Uh, it's the uh, first animated Batman movie to hit theaters, and that is Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, and I wanted to mention this also because it does feature Mark Hamill as the Joker, who, uh, for a lot of Batman fans, Hamill is the Joker. Sam, you're doing, like, the bowing move right now. No. <laughs> like, like, I mean, he, he's never put on makeup and been in front of a live screen, but Hamill is is the Joker. It's like Conroy <laughs> is Batman, Hamill is the Joker. You! That's right, Hearty. Bring in the press, why don't you? What a photo op! The councilman and his wacky pal! You're no friend of mine. Oh, Hearty! I'm crushed! How the high and mighty forget! Don't you remember you, me, Sally, and the gang? What are you talking about? I never met them or you. I worked for Beaumont. I didn't know what he was doing. Oh, but you knew about it afterwards and put it to good use, eh? <laughs> what do you want? To find out who's iced the old gang. Haven't you read the papers? It's Batman. <laughs> Wrong. It ain't the bat. Nope, nope, nope. I've seen the guy. He looks more like the ghost of Christmas future. Nowhere near as cute as Batboy. You're saying it's someone else? Yeah, someone who wouldn't mind seeing our old pals out of the way. <gasps> Maybe. Go. Sob. Me too. That's when I thought about you, Arturo. An important, upstanding guy like you could find it awkward if certain secrets were revealed about his past. Wait, you're not saying that I... Mr. Reeves, Miss Beaumont on the line. Beaumont? Not the babe. Oh, you devil. Yeah, th so this, this movie came out during the height of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, basically, Animated Series premiered in 92. This movie came out in 93. Uh, and it was the, the result of like the first season of the Animated Series getting a really good critical reception. It was very popular. And so WB um, kind of met up with the team and was talking to them about the possibility of doing a full-length movie uh, and putting it out in theaters, which they did. They didn't. It was pretty low budget. I think it was made for like $6 million or something like that. Uh, and it did not do well at the box office because it was kind of rushed out there. But it has gained a huge cult following in the years since. A lot of people consider it the best Batman movie. 
Uh, and I actually watched it, you know, I, I had seen bits of Mask of the Phantasm when I was a kid. Uh, I watched it in full for the first time yesterday. Wow. And it's really good, guys. It's a very good movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and Hamill is the Joker in this movie. And, you know, for my money, I think it's not the best Hamill as Joker portrayal. Like, Hamill has done the Joker in so many different things. I mean, in the animated series, uh, in the Arkham games, in, like, countless direct-to-DVD movies and stuff like that. Even just, like, in random things you don't even think about, Hamill's the Joker. Uh, and so many other voice actors have also done the Joker, but nobody does it quite like Mark Hamill. I think he really captures that mix of just, you know, I think the Joker's a really great character for an actor to sink their teeth into because if you can crack that code of, like, being genuinely scary and also being very funny, uh, then that's the Joker. And Mark Hamill pretty much nailed it immediately, uh, which is kind of amazing to think about. And he's been doing it ever since. Like, the, <laughs> like he's been doing the Joker for, like, 30-plus years now or something like that. Like, it's, it's really insane to think about how long he's been playing that character. And he keeps saying he's going to retire and stop doing it. Uh, but then I just looked up, like, his uh, IMDb real quick, and, like, he just played the character again last year in, like, Lego DC Super Heroes, the video game or whatever. Like, he's, <laughs> so he's still doing it. He's still playing the Joker. Uh, but Mask of the Phantasm, I think, is a, is a really great movie. I think it's a, a, one of the only Batman movies that really delves into the psychology of Batman, um, at, like Bruce Wayne himself. But the Joker himself is just a really fun character to bounce off of in the movie. He has maybe 15 minutes of screen time total, but he makes the most of it. Uh, and it just kind of shows off everything people, loves, everything people do love about Mark Hamill's performance as the Joker. Um, so yeah, neither of you guys have seen Mask of the Phantasm, right? No. Bits and pieces when I was a kid, but I, I haven't seen the film. Okay, I, I would uh, highly recommend it. I think it is like the un, undiscovered gem of the Batman filmography. Uh, it's Mask of the Phantasm. It's worth checking out, and it's only 75 minutes. Uh, so it's really, it's it, again, easy in and out. It's barely longer than Invader Zim into the Florpus. Uh, <laughs> so you can double feature those, and you could probably double feature both those movies in the time it takes to watch The Dark Knight. Uh, just <laughs> especially yeah. midsummer too <laughs> especially oh. midsummer yeah uh and speaking of the dark knight guys we gotta talk about the dark knight let's wind the clocks back a year these cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you i mean what happened did your, did your balls drop off hmm you see a guy like me freak a guy like me. Look, listen. I know why you choose to have your little <clears throat> group therapy sessions in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman has shown Gotham your true colors, unfortunately. Dent, he's just the beginning. And as for uh, the television's so-called plan, Batman has no jurisdiction. He'll find him and make him squeal. I know the squealers when I see them. And... What do you propose? It's simple. We uh, kill the Batman. <laughs> if it's so simple, why haven't you done it already? If you're good at something, never do it for free. How much you want? half <laughs> you're crazy I'm not no I'm not which of course is a Heath Ledger as the Joker I saw The Dark Knight four times when it was in theaters which is the most most I've ever seen a movie in theaters 
Uh, like I've seen movies in theaters twice. Occasionally, very occasionally, I'll see a movie three times in theaters. Uh, most recently, that was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I saw that three times. Uh, almost saw that a fourth time, actually, but it didn't end up happening. So The Dark Knight is still the only movie I've seen in theaters <laughs> four times. And a large part of that is because of Heath Ledger as the Joker. I think he is one of the, uh, the greatest cinematic villains of all time. He won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Posthumously, of course, uh, Heath Ledger died a few months before The Dark Knight came out, uh, which I think maybe colored the reception to his performance a little bit. Um, but at the same time, I think he's just so great in the movie immediately that I, even if Heath Ledger hadn't died and that shadow hadn't been cast over it, I think we would still be talking about that performance as like the fucking Joker performance of all yeah. time. But yeah, he's iconic the second he shows up on screen. You know, he's unpredictable, uh, legitimately scary, uh, often genuinely funny, and he's full of just memorable lines. I think the moment I fell in love with the movie uh, was the uh, the magic pencil trick scene. Oh. Which... You know, like that, like he as soon as he walks on, like his first line of the movie is like, "Whatever kills you only makes you stranger," or whatever. Um, you know that whole bank heist scene at the beginning, and then like maybe twenty minutes later is that magic pencil scene. And I'm like, "Yep, no, I'm fucking in. This is incredible." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I also love that you know Nolan, the director of the movie, uh, also smartly plays that giving Joker an origin story, but doesn't. Um, you know, he, Joker tells this uh, "Want to know how I got these scars?" stories, um, but because the story changes every single time he tells them. Uh, it leaves you with an even greater sense of mystery than if he didn't say anything at all, you know? Uh, and, I, and I love that about it. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the Joker in The Dark Knight, for my money, is the best version of the character um, on film. Maybe not the most comics-accurate version of the character, because Nolan wasn't really making that kind of movie. He was making Heat, but with superheroes. You know, for the, for the comics-accurate version, go for Mark Hamill, Mask of the Phantasm, or any of the Mark Hamill stuff. Um, but for, like, just straight-up cinematic magic, it's The Dark Knight all the way. It's incredible. Uh, I'm assuming you guys are fans of The Dark Knight. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just, just the biggest. Do you have duh. eyes? Then yeah. Yes. <laughs> just the biggest duh of all time. Uh, yeah. I mean, Sam, you. Uh, how old were you when Dark Knight came out? Uh, I was. I don't even remember. When did that come out? Uh, two thousand eight is when it came out. I was uh, about sixteen. And it was one of those movies that just fucking rocked my world and changed my life forever, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Like it hit me at that exact right moment. I was like 23, 22, so like around that time. Okay, yeah. So, like I was just, I, I know I was like still in college and I, I went to go see the movie with some friends and then I took someone out on a date to go see that movie and she had no knowledge about Batman and she was just like, that movie was amazing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> just, she was like, that movie was amazing. I was like, you didn't even see the Batman Begins. She was like, no, that movie was amazing. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you don't even know. Yeah, you, <laughs> you don't even know. know. Yeah, I mean, that's... But, yeah, that's also kind of the genius about Dark Knight is that you don't have to have seen Batman Begins in order to love it. It it builds off what was there in Batman Begins, but like it's completely standalone. The one thing I love, like, and you mentioned it, this isn't the most comic accurate Joker, but this Joker is the only one that I know of that I feel as though could work. Out of all the Jokers that I've seen so far, including Joker, Joker, this is the only one I feel as though works. Like if this person was outside in the real world, I would be terrified of them, and I could see people following him. I can see him taking over an entire city right yes yeah especially in the world that this movie creates because again it is like you know nolan's depiction of gotham city is basically just chicago and it's <laughs> you know it's it's basically like a, yeah. as much as close to a real life city as possible uh and so th like he made his batman movies feel like they took place in the real world and the joker reflected that uh as well but yeah mike you're a fan of uh, the dark knight yeah yeah of course <laughs> yeah i saw this um I think I had just come back from Australia. I went on a big trip in 2008 with a bunch of schoolmates and stuff. 
and we came back, and I think like a day or two later or a week later, I forget. It was very very recent because I remember us being like wiped out after traveling and like still you know jet lagged a couple days later and stuff. And we're like, let's just go to the movies and hang out. And we went and saw Dark Knight, and just like all of us in stunned silence um, yeah. <laughs> after it ended. Um, yeah, just fucking incredible. The first the the bank robbery scene, the first five or ten minutes or whatever it is, is yeah. like some of the best movie ever, like cinema of all time. <laughs> Uh, and it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, what more can you add, you know? Uh, absolutely. I mean, The Dark Knight, incredible. Heath Ledger, I think the definitive version of the Joker. And after that, I was like, you know what? Like, you know, after Heath Ledger died, I think the plan was, before Heath Ledger passed away, to have the Joker also be in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, yeah. Like, you know, because he le- he's left alive at the end of The Dark Knight, and it seems like, you know, that's sort of where it was going. Uh, but obviously they couldn't have, they weren't able to do that. Uh, so after Heath Ledger passed away and The Dark Knight, you know, passed, the moment had passed, I was like, all right. They should never touch the Joker again. They should just, like, they got to wait, like, 30 years before they try the Joker on film again because they, they can't top Heath Ledger. They got to wait a long time. Uh, and they made it eight years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Enter Jared Leto as, oh, God. as the Joker in Suicide Squad. Oh, calm it, Daddy. Pardon? Oh. <laughs> Listen, you are my gift to this handsome hunka hunka you belong to him now yeah. mm. <laughs> you're cute you want me i'm all yours <laughs> i don't want no beef you want no beef you don't want Why, no beef wrong? you don't want no beef you don't like me fine don't waste my time then this is a lady look are you enjoying yourself? Oh, that's your lazy joke. Well, that's right. Yo, yeah. Jay. <laughs> and we've talked about Suicide Squad in the past. We reviewed that movie back when it came out on Film Bookcast. We don't really need to refresh our thoughts on Suicide Squad, but it's bad. It's real bad. Uh, it's <laughs> I do need to add, though, Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. The, yeah, the Academy Award winning movie Suicide Squad for best makeup because they wrote the word damaged on the Joker's forehead. So you can tell <laughs> that he's damaged. Uh, yes, in case you forgot. Uh, you know, put some respect on their name. So. <laughs> uh, in my opinion, by far the worst cinematic Joker. I think Leto plays him like a teenage kid trying too hard to like shock people by buying all his wardrobe a Hot Topic. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, this is the only live action film to feature Joker together with Harley Quinn. Um, who is a big part of the Joker mythology, starting with Batman animated series. Um, but Harley ends up being the much more compelling one in the movie. I mean, she's actually a main character, whereas Joker is like basically like an extended cameo. Obviously, the studio agreed, though, that Harley was better, because uh, Margot Robbie is set to come back in Birds of Prey, uh, and the next Suicide Squad movie, also going to feature Margot Robbie, uh, Jared Leto's name conspicuously absent from any of these... <laughs> these things uh like the, the resounding reaction to jared leto as the joker was like a hard pass from all involved <laughs> <laughs> so yeah although the new birds of Tra- prey trailer did feature harley throwing knives at a picture of jared leto joker take that for what you will i guess Amazing. Uh, but sam what were your what were your thoughts on suicide squad i'm curious uh, what you think of this movie okay so suicide squad is what happens when you take two movies like a scary movie and a funny movie and like you smush them together and try to put it out to the people <laughs> that's what i feel i feel like there was literally two suicide squad movies being filmed and then they decided to try to put them both together and put it out and hope that it worked and it didn't no it did not <laughs> i was reading uh, something about uh, on reddit i think that it was like actually the trailer 
editing company that ended up editing the movie at the end of the day? I believe that's true, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. there, there was a big response to the original trailer that it looked funny and silly, and everyone was like, we want that finally, DC, make a goofy movie. And they were like, oh shit, and they scrambled and reshot a bunch of stuff, <laughs> and then gave it to the company that edited the trailer together. And they were like, fix this for us, please. And yeah. uh, oh, they tried. So you're, you're, cl- you're onto something there. Yeah, oh. you're not incorrect. Uh, but yes, yeah, so Sam, what's your take on Joker in Suicide Squad anyway? Okay, so here's where like I lose friends and gain enemies all the time. I'm one of the few people who didn't hate Jared Leto's Joker. Okay, there you go. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> I, I think, as a Joker, for that universe, he was fine. <laughs> you, that, you know, you need a Joker to, like, think of that Batman. You saw that Batman. You saw him in Batman v Superman. You saw him in Justice League. Sure. Do you think any other regular Joker could take that Batman? <laughs> I don't know. Hashtag damaged. Yeah, I don't think this uh, Joker could take that Batman. Honestly, it just no. But you, he'll make it interesting because you got like a juggalo, <laughs> like a juggalo looking kind of crime lord. I mean, yeah. that, if that guy's the head of your crime organization, you're gonna be hella terrified. There's no not being terrified. Sure. And he was capable. You saw him like raid a factory, get to secret uh, Bluetooth, or, well, the deactivation codes for their uh, bomb necks. And, like, do all this stuff, and in the span of, like, 24 hours, he's capable. So, like, you know, he's not a bad Joker. He's not the greatest Joker. He's not going to be my top five. <laughs> <laughs> of the seven Jokers that exist, he's not in your top five. Oh, no, I was counting, like, 20. So oh, okay, he's like, fair he's enough. Like was... in, he's in the yeah. teens. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the best defense I've ever heard of Jerry Leto. Uh, and, that was, and that was a very half-hearted defense at that, so, so there is that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Leto, he is whatever in Suicide Squad, as far as I'm concerned. Like, as far as the film bat- as Jokers go, I think he's easily the worst. Uh, but speaking of, you know, kind of light and goofy Jokers, uh, gotta move on to the uh, the movie that came out in 2017 that I did not want to overlook. Uh, the Lego Batman movie, guys. Uh, wow. <laughs> which featured Zach Galifianakis as the Joker. And honestly, I think he's one of the better Jokers in one of the better Batman movies uh, <laughs> that exists. Because this time, I got you. Oh, yeah? Well, there's only one problem. Who's going to defuse the bomb? It's got to be one or the other, Batman. Save the city or catch your greatest enemy. You can't do both. I'm sorry. What did you just say? You can't do both, I said. No, I mean the other thing. Save the city or catch your greatest enemy? You think you're my greatest enemy? Yes! You're obsessed with me! <laughs> no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are! Who else drives you to one-up them the way that I do? Bane. No, he doesn't. Superman. Superman's not a bad guy. Then I'd say that I don't currently have a bad guy. I am fighting a few different people. What? I like to fight around. Okay, look, I'm uh, fine with you fighting other people if you want to do that. But what we have is special. So when people ask you who's your number one bad guy, you say... Superman. Are you seriously saying that there is nothing, nothing special about our relationship? Uh, Sam, what's your take on the Lego Batman movie? I have done, because I didn't see that one. Okay, fair oh. enough. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Totally forgot that was a Batman movie. I mean, did did the title of the Lego Batman movie have any? No, I forget. Like you know how like you're like okay, so all the Batman movies you're thinking of all like you know action thing Batman, and you're like oh right, Lego Lego makes movies too. That's right. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough, Mike. Have you seen the Lego Batman movie? 
I have, yes. Not in a okay. few years, though. But um, I think it's great. It is really amazing. I think Will Arnett is <laughs> would easily be in one of the best uh, Batmans of all time. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, I remember really just... I don't remember too much specifically about the Joker or Zach Galifianakis as the Joker. Uh, but I just remember overall it's really fun and a really good movie. And it, it kind of plays up the clown goofy you know it's a kid's it's a kid's movie uh, sure. yeah <laughs> and I mean, uh, it's a good time yeah i mean what i love about this this one this one plays on what we know about batman and the joker and their like strange relationship and it makes the joker out as like this jealous ex um who's like bitter that batman won't acknowledge that the two of them are arch enemies uh plus it features the joker going into the phantom zone and teaming up with the gremlins and sauron and king kong to take down batman so that's awesome like it's just so much fun uh like the third act of this movie is completely bonkers and i think zach galifianakis uh is a very like he's a very funny guy i'm a big fan of zach galifianakis and so he brings a lot of humor to uh the role of the joker uh in a movie that is very very funny to begin with anyway with you know mostly comedic actors playing these parts with will arnett as batman michael Sarah as robin uh uh (laughs) I think it's Rosario Dawson uh, as Batgirl in the movie or something like that. I would have to double check yeah. on that. Uh, but yeah, so the Lego Batman movie, I think, uh, again, another one that uh, people might overlook because it's animated and because it's Legos, but uh, honestly, one of the better Batman stories out there uh, in the way that it like really actually examines what Batman's all about and it like really uses all these different aspects of the Batman mythology to create the story. Uh, so yeah, worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Uh, and then finally, that takes us to the movie we're going to talk about today, guys, which is Joker 2019. Uh, a feature-length origin story uh, featuring Joaquin Phoenix as Joker uh, that depicts what life was like before he became the Joker. Uh, I've always been skeptical of origin stories for this character, like I said, because the Dark Knight proves he tends to work much better without one. Uh, And Phoenix plays the character as deeply disturbed, mentally unwell, living in poverty in the early 80s. In the movie, he's a failed comedian named Arthur Fleck. So before we get into our actual review of the movie, guys, uh, what did you think of Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal of the Joker? I think Joaquin Phoenix himself is an incredible actor, so I think his performance is amazing. So, but as the Joker, I I feel like we're not in the full review yet, so I can't really. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't want to say much, but I don't think it's a very Joker performance, if that makes sense. Okay, Sam, where are you at with this? <sighs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay. I think that says it all. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm gonna go with. <sighs> uh all right so that that, i mean that pretty much encapsulates the entire history of the joker on film do you guys have a favorite joker Um, like is is it heath ledger all around is that what we're saying or anybody going with anybody else yeah no i'll I'll stick with heath ledger okay (laughs) yeah i mean we're all it seems like we're all saying heath ledger but if you want the more comics accurate version of the joker mark hamill is the way to go and i think and i think we're all in agreement on that too so that's a a fairly boring assessment of uh (laughs) <laughs> of, of our favorite jokers but the there you ice go. cold takes here at mike and mike go to the movies <laughs> pretty much but uh yeah so anyway the joker one of the most iconic uh villainous characters of all time finally gets his own his solo movie in the vein of venom uh so <laughs> you know it's weird that we've had this like this like kind of progression of like we've had so many superhero movies over the past like two decades and now we're finally getting like actual super villain movies too because we're running out of heroes to adapt right uh, so we did suicide squad and now we did venom and now we're doing joker uh and now birds of praise gonna have harley quinn like front and center although that seems more like a superhero-ish type movie than uh a villain thing but uh you know and they're also working on uh, morbius the living vampire over at sony uh with uh, jared leto back we'll see <laughs> see how he does this time <laughs> Uh, Black Hat Silver Sable's coming one day. One of these days, Black Hat Silver Sable. Never give up hope, Mike. Uh, I'm calling it. 
Yeah. Uh, all right, but now let's finally do it. Let's get into our featured review of Joker. Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose to bring laughter and joy to the world. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? All right, that was from the trailer for Joker, the new movie written by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver and directed by Todd Phillips. It stars Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, Zazie Beetz, Francis Conroy, and Brett Cullen, among others. And the IMDb plot synopsis for Joker reads, In Gotham City, mentally troubled comedian Arthur Fleck embarks on a downward spiral of social revolution and bloody crime. This path brings him face-to-face with his infamous alter ego, the Joker. Uh, so guys, reactions to this movie have been just all over the place. I've seen some people claiming it's one of the best comp movies ever made. I've seen some say it is one of the worst. Uh, I've seen some say that it's uh, an engaging portrayal of mental illness and a biting indictment of a country that ignores it. I've seen others say it's a dangerous movie that sympathizes with the mentality of a psychopath. Uh, and pretty much everybody agrees that it's a ripoff of, Scar- of uh, Martin Scorsese movies. <laughs> so there is that too. Uh, specifically Taxi Driver and uh, The King of Comedy. Uh, so I'm curious where you guys fall on Joker, now that we've kind of talked for the last half hour or so about the entire cinematic legacy of Joker's character. Uh, how do you think this uh, movie compares to all those? Uh, Sam, you are the guest, so we'll start with you. They shouldn't have called this a Joker movie. <laughs> I I don't... They shouldn't have called this a Joker movie. Right? <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm coming back to that. Like, this was a... It was... I don't even... I don't know. Like, they shouldn't have called this a Joker movie. I can't stress that enough. <laughs> Just going to repeat Phoenix that over and over again. For the... <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try to get... Like, Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal of the Joker, he's he's a great actor. This is... And that was solid acting. They shouldn't have called this a Joker movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, like, I, I'm, I'm getting a bit rambly. There was a tweet that I saw that said that um, Fight Club, Clockwork Orange, and a bunch of all these uh, these great movies came out, and they ended up like they were these great movies when they came out, and then they became posters in like college rooms, dorm, like college room kids' dorms. Yeah, I think I saw that. And this movie, yeah, and this movie was trying to be that, going into it, like it was like they they fully thought that they were going to become a poster, and they missed the mark. Wow. (laughs) In my personal opinion. Okay, so you don't think this is even college dorm room poster status level of a movie? You're saying? I think it thinks that it's a college room poster, <laughs> but right. it is not. And, and we should we should clarify what we mean by that. I think when we're saying college dorm room poster movie, we're saying like uh, movies that young bros uh, kind of latch onto because they're about like lonely people in society who don't uh, does, doesn't understand them, but it's actually like a really dark movie, and they're generally doing despicable and horrible things, like in *A Clockwork Orange* or uh, *Scarface*. I think is a perfect example of the college dorm room movie. Uh, yes. and that kind of thing uh and joker i think is also uh one of a, one of a proud tradition of those kind of, <laughs> of kind of movies i guess <laughs> uh so i think that's what you're trying to get at there with the with joker um, yes but uh okay so mike what, what's your take on joker as a film um my take is sam you kind of i think that what you're that what you're talking about like kind of gets to the heart of what i feel is that for such a self-important 
movie, it has just fucking nothing to say. I was I can't tell you how many times I rolled my eyes during this movie. I think I think at one point I just kind of was like sighed and was like Jesus Christ. And the guy next to me was like, yeah. <laughs> like like it was it was like like within the first uh 5 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. I can't remember exactly, but uh there's a moment where where Joaquin Phoenix or Arthur Fleck is talking to his like social worker person and he's like, "Is it just me or is it getting a little crazy out there and he like raises his eyebrow and there's a musical sting and i was like no fuck like get the fuck i'm out like this is so dumb uh and it thinks it's so smart and it's and it's referencing martin scorsese and it's referencing uh brian de palma and it's referencing uh movies like death wish and stuff like that or or, you know calling to mind those kind of movies sure um and just like fucking no it's just it's so stupid i don't i don't know it just feels so hollow i guess is what i'm saying uh i saw somebody i forget um i should have wrote down the author but there was like an article about it i saw that was uh this feels like the kind of movie that some bro like max landis would complain about a studio rejecting the pitch for and somehow it got made um like it's the joker but like dark and real and like he's mentally ill and like you just don't understand him uh, and I just, I don't know, like they might as well have written damaged on his forehead. Uh, and maybe it would have been more interesting or something. I don't know. I just, I just was taken out of it so much, uh, by everything. And I just like, didn't care. It was two hours and I was just like, I don't, I don't give a shit about any of this. <laughs> they used the cream needle drop the day after Ginger Baker died. And I was so fucking mad about it. All right. That's not the movie's fault. That's not. No, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Ginger Baker heard his song was using Joker, and he was like, "I'm out. I gotta go. My plant, my people need me." And he left. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know why I was so mad. I got so mad about this movie. Uh, Man, <laughs> when I walked out of it, I was just angry and disappointed. That's interesting. Then you guys have put me in in an unenviable position uh, because I like this movie. Uh, <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. It's not great. Uh, I think there's issues with it. I, I think I fall directly down in the middle. It's, I don't think it's one of the greatest comic book movies ever or one of the worst, uh, but I like it. I think it does some things really, really well. Uh, and uh, mostly, I think I just appreciate its place in the comic book movie landscape right now. I think we're in an age where 95% of superhero movies are this big, bombastic blockbuster with CGI action set pieces and spandex costumes with a budget that's over like $150 million. Uh, and Joker is deliberately very much not that. It approaches the material as this kind of dark, violent character study. Uh, and you can argue how successful it is at that. I think it's uh, it's character study elements of it where it's actually just letting Joaquin Phoenix do his thing and like examining what he's going through, I think are pretty good. Uh, it's where it goes into some social commentary stuff that I feel like it does not... Uh, hit the mark the way it wants to uh but again i think what powers this movie for me joaquin phoenix possibly the greatest actor currently working today uh and i think he delivers a great performance here uh honestly i think it's a testament to the strength of the joker character he's still only like my third favorite joker um you know behind heath ledger and mark hamill because he is doing some incredible work with his voice and his facial expressions throughout the movie um and the physical transformation he underwent for this movie i mean he lost like 50 pounds or something like that and like you can tell. You can see it in the movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, it seems like they deliberately take his shirt off a lot just to show off the fact that he lost a lot of weight for it. Yeah. Um, Suck on uh, that, Christian Bale. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but again, it's commitment to the role, and it's commitment. And I think it helps sell this the, this disturbed quality to this character. He looks emaciated throughout. He like he just looks deranged uh, from the minute you see him. Really. 
uh, and then it kind of gets, gets worse from there. I also think the movie looks great. Like, I, I think one thing that gets overlooked about Todd Phillips' movies, uh, specifically the Hangover movies, uh, is that they were often really well shot uh, compared to other comedy movies being released at the same time. Uh, and that's cinematographer Lawrence Scher, uh, who shot the Hangover movies, also shot this movie, and I think this movie looks awesome. Uh, he also recently shot Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is another movie that looks awesome. Uh, not a great movie, but it looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but really, I think just on a script level is where I have issues with Joker. I think it's a, like, again, social bag, social commentary is kind of a mixed bag. Uh, and it often feels like Todd Phillips saw and has probably loved movies like Taxi Driver. Um, but he's only able to convey that love by mimicking the surface level elements of those movies. Um, he's, he's the fucking guy with the poster on his wall who's like, I can do it. Like, right. get the fuck out of here, Todd Phillips. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit. Ah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, he doesn't really delve as deeper deeper into the psychology and stuff like that that uh, those movies are actually about. Uh, but I would say the first half of this movie, which is just about Arthur Fleck and his shitty life, uh, is is really strong. I think it's pretty good. I think it uh, the way it criticizes the uh, treatment of mental health in America, um, the way you know it shows off Gotham and it's like, oh, we're cutting funding. You know, Gotham's not going to be giving you your meds anymore and that kind of thing. I think it's actually pretty solid. Like, I think that's an actually really interesting take for the movie. Uh, and it builds a solid supporting cast. Uh, again, Robert De Niro is in this movie, uh, which is a nod to, uh, you guessed, The Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy, uh, <laughs> which are the two movies that just seem to keep coming up because this movie just steals liberally from those two movies. But it allows Phoenix to really explore the character, and I found that a pretty fascinating thing. Again, not a comics accurate version of the joker but it's definitely not trying to be that it's trying to be its own thing and i do agree with sam that uh you know i think this movie would be stronger if it wasn't called joker if it was just called fleck or something yes <laughs> if it was a secret joker movie right I, 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 that would be incredible actually if, it, if they just made the secret movie called fleck or whatever and like it's this weird like sort of psychological thriller thing and then you know day of release people discover like at the end of it he becomes joker and you see thomas wayne get murdered and it's like holy shit oh. um but uh, yeah, that, I, that might have actually worked even better. But yeah, I, I think I, I agree. Like it's it maybe shouldn't be called the Joker because once it starts bringing in some of that comic book iconography, I, I was actually into some of that stuff where um, you know it was bringing in these recognizable comic elements uh, and doing them in a new way, uh, and I find that kind of thrilling to play along with like that and like do it in a unique perspective. But I also felt like it would have been stronger if it hadn't acknowledged this stuff at all and it was just like its own thing, um, which I think. For a large chunk of the movie, it if you just swapped out the names like Thomas Wayne and Arkham, like you could pass this off as an original movie and no one would know, like no one would notice. But yeah, so I think uh, I think I get where you're coming from, Sam. Where it's just like this is, it's the Joker, but it's like it's not the Joker, you know? Is this a man who wears a clown um, costume and kills people? Then yes, it is the Joker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, but it could also be Pennywise. You don't know. It could also uh, be Pennywise. Could also be Pennywise. <laughs> Uh, Mike, you're saying you like it's. I feel like your tweet when you saw the movie after after you saw it, you said it was a a perfectly okay waste of time. Have you like soured on the movie since that tweet that you posted like last uh, night? <laughs> I guess I fra- I guess I phrased that wrong. I think I said pretty decent waste of time, as in it wasted my time. Like a, okay. a yeah, I phrased that incorrectly, but yeah, I meant like it was a waste of time. Um, like okay, see, I, what I, I, what I thought you meant by that was like you had an okay time, but it was just like you felt like it was wasted. <laughs> Yeah, I spent uh, I spent the last forty five minutes of this movie waiting for the last fifteen movie fifteen minutes, and I just I don't know like I said the just the, I think this, the attempt at social commentary is bad because I feel like it feels hollow. It feels like Todd Phillips, like I said, is the guy that thinks he can make this movie, 
um, and just can't really, uh, especially with the stuff he said going and coming, you know, the lead up to the release about how you can't be funny anymore. And everyone's like, fuck this. I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, and he's, he's, he seems like one of these guys that was just, is just like a free, uh, freedom of speech, quote unquote, like protector guy, you know, like one of those dudes that's like the PC police can't stop me. And then <laughs> like he put it in the movie and I just don't give a shit about that kind of person the person that thinks like that and anymore uh and this is a two-hour movie testament to that um uh, <laughs> is how i felt so yeah i'm sure we'll get into stuff in spoilers about specifics of that but i just yeah. it's just like i don't care i don't care about the way the, anything about this movie yeah basically. i mean as far, as far as stuff that todd phillips has been saying throughout like before the release of this movie again it was all dumb it was all stupid stuff that he was saying yeah uh but i also try not to let you know, like as far as I, like as far as once the movie's out there, it's like you know, death of the author is something I like to try to practice kind of thing. Because once the movie's out there, the movie's out there, uh, and you can kind of analyze it and do whatever you want. And a lot of it does kind of line up with what Todd Phillips was saying, anyway. But you know, I, like the comments, I try not to let you know influence my opinion of the movie. Uh, but at the same time, that's why I appreciate somebody like David Lynch who says nothing about his movies uh, right. or, or his TV shows or anything. You know, one of the most famous uh, quotes of all time was or from David Lynch was like, uh, you know, Eraserhead is my most spiritual film. Expand on that. No. <laughs> and, you know, and that's and that's the approach I wish more directors would take, because, again, then you have like, you know, the stupid interviews with Todd Phillips where he's like, yeah, you know, you can't. I stopped making comedies because you know people kept getting offended and that kind of thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, just. Shut up, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I would have had an easier time separating uh, his comments from the movie if the movie didn't also make those comments. So I can't. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately. I, I, mean, I mean, I'm not sure the movie explicitly goes after that in that direction. The movie, go, the movie goes in a lot of different directions, and that's probably one of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like it's trying to say a lot of things about a lot of different subjects. And I think it successfully hits a couple of them and mostly misses the mark um, <laughs> on everything else. Uh, yeah. Again, I, again, I think the way it does it works into its uh, treatment of the uh, the mentally ill and the commentary on American society through that in the beginning of the movie. I think it's pretty good. I think there's some solid stuff there. Uh, and then towards the end of the movie, specifically towards the end, it seems like it starts to sympathize with some of the Joker's positions uh, in some way. But the Joker also doesn't believe in anything, uh, and so it's there's a little weird kind of you know, push and pull. Uh, and I yeah. think, ulti- I, I think ultimately the movie comes out on the right side, but, uh, there's, it's definitely iffy for a little while, but I, I what I think I, again, it's, it does evoke taxi driver, the can comedy. Like, I, I feel like I was so sick of hearing about <laughs> this movie being compared to taxi driver and the can comedy for months leading up to it. That's like all I heard about the movie it was like, Oh, yeah. it's like taxi driver, the can comedy. And I'm like, all right, that's not an original like thought anymore you can't just keep saying that uh and like uh, when you're talking about the joker because it's just like it's not something that like everybody's been saying it already you can't say it anymore and then i watched the movie and i'm like yeah man it's just taxi driver and the King Comedy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, there's a thing too we um we talked about i think i think it might have been the drive angry episode of uh complete, <laughs> complete works, works which that feels like this kind of la- down and dirty 70s uh grungy exploitation movie sure and i like that aesthetic in those movies, the movies that feel like they were shot uh, like on on film and shot uh, illegally on weekends without filming permits and like just <laughs> for a, a ten thousand dollars or whatever, um, you know these kind of just grungy shoestring budget kids trying to get their vision made and it's the city was actually bankrupt literally and like all this stuff. Right. Uh, so that like for Todd Phillips and Joker to evoke that era specifically, like it's 
I feel like there's a moment where like they might have accidentally said New York City instead of Gotham um, in the movie. <laughs> it so heavily evokes that kind of stuff. But just like in this kind of sleek, you know, 2019, not big budget, because big budget now means like $300 million, but um, sure. large budget movie. I just like, I don't know. It just, it just all felt so disingenuous to me uh, with that okay, kind of fair. thing. And I, and I think people have been treating the movie as if it was a risk for the studio. And I think to a degree it partially was um, because it was this like R-rated you know, movie about the villain and like it's very different than every other comic book movie that's out there right now. But at the same time, it's like this, you know, Oscar, Oscar nominated actor playing this, uh, you know, the most iconic superhero villain of all time, right. uh, you know, doing this uh, movie directed by the guy who made these super successful hangover movies. Like, I think I think that was like the highest grossing comedy of all time or whatever at the time. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of like it, it feels like a risky sort of move because it's so different than every other superhero type thing out there. But it's, there's a lot of factors in there that kind of like you know kind of decline that risk and plus the budget for this movie is like 60 million or whatever compared to uh the 250 million or whatever they have to make for a superhero movie so so yeah i, I think there is stuff going for it but I, at the same time i think uh, i know what you're talking about there uh sam you uh are the comics guy here you're the guy who reads a lot of comics uh as far as the comics version of the joker like what what would you have wanted to see out of a joker origin movie is your, is your silence mean nothing? Is that like... Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't want... I think I agree with you. I don't want a Joker's origin movie. I don't think you give a Joker origin movie. I think you, you let Joker just be a mystery like he's supposed to be. Right. I mean, you have the basic story. Like, you know, he was a failed comic. He tried to rob some... He tried to become a robber. He gets pushed into vat of acid. He becomes the Joker. You That's didn't it. have to, like, make his life so... Like, try so hard to make it so that his life is so hard. And then, like push it out like oh you know like the world needs to change and i have like he wanted to like s tell the world his story and he when he like he didn't have anything to actually say and he was making it sound like he like if everyone just gave him a chance he'd be amazing and then you give him the chance and you're just like you don't have anything worthwhile <laughs> to say so like what was the point of this yeah i mean i'm not i'm not sure i totally agree that that's where the ending goes um but we we'll, we'll talk about that in spoilers is there any any other stuff about the movie you guys want to get into before we get into spoilers or should we just move right into that i think uh i think we you talked about it too but like as much as i don't like this movie joaquin phoenix is actually incredible uh <laughs> yeah he's great yeah <laughs> i just want to say like i can appreciate that at least and like on a technical level it's a competent movie uh, but just like everything else about it, it's just repugnant to me. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough, Sam. I agree with Mike. Joaquin Phoenix's acting was amazing. All, actually, not for nothing, all the acting was really good. Like They all fit the parts that they were running for. Um, Thomas Wayne seemed like the Thomas Wayne that you would, like, in this world, This he fits the Thomas Wayne aesthetic. That, that was good. He didn't seem too weird in regards to that. It was a good movie. And I like the, the costumes, the... Uh, they were well done, like especially like when we saw like I guess the final Joker suit, I guess. Yeah, I uh, yeah. actually I really enjoyed like when when he finally put on the clown makeup, I was like, oh shit, it's the joke. Like you know, it, it, I had the kind of <laughs> oh shit moment. Sorry. Where... <laughs> I was oh, so fuck, surprised. The Joker showed up. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't see it coming, man. I didn't yeah. know. I thought I was watching a Fleck movie here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but when he like puts on the makeup when he does the clown stuff like when he actually puts on the clown makeup it feels like you're watching the joker for the first time yeah. actually doing his thing and you are uh like that's the intended that's the intended effect um but i think it I, I think it really works and again it's it's very different from every other 
version of what you've seen the Joker look like in the past. Um, but I appreciate that about it too. It looks like you know some guy who had an '80s clown costume that he, that he put on, kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, all right. So let's uh, move on to spoilers right now uh, for Joker. All right, spoilers for Joker starting right now. So guys, I mean, I obviously enjoyed the movie much more than you did, um, but I will say I was very, very mad <laughs> that it made me watch uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne die again. <laughs> <laughs> I was, as soon as like as soon as they walk out of the theater, I was like, "No, you got to be shitting me!" <laughs> Not again. I've seen this happen too many times, uh, and it was the exact same way. It's always happened where they go into the alley and it's the overhead shot, and somebody goes in, they rip the pearls off, and the pearls yep. fall. It's it's the exact same thing. I'm like, I've seen this. You know, I, I had to watch it in '89 Batman. Had to watch it in Batman Begins. I had to watch it in Batman v Superman. I had to watch it in Gotham. Like I am done <laughs> with. <laughs> Thomas and Martha Wayne dying. I get it. I've seen it. Uh, and so, I was, so when it happened in the movie, as soon as it started happening, I was like, no, you can't, you can't be serious. Like I knew Thomas, was, I knew Thomas Wayne was in the movie, uh, but I didn't think they would go that far into Batman's origin stuff uh, in, by the end of this movie. But I, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Is there any other, is there any spoilery type things that you specifically wanted to get to guys? I guess the, the very end, but is that too early to get to the very, like to the last, like, 10 minutes of the movie yeah let's do that fine whatever uh yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that leads into the uh the thomas thomas martha wayne stuff but uh yeah so i i will say i think the further the movie gets the uh the more muddled its social commentary becomes um but anyway as the movie progresses you know uh there's this murray tonight show which is hosted by robert de niro which is a nod to his role in camp comedy uh that arthur dreams of like you know being on at some point and then he actually gets the opportunity to do it uh, and when he gets on, he puts on the clown makeup. He insists he be called the Joker when he uh, leaves and uh, goes on the set. And when he's on set, he admits to killing the three men on the train and launches in a speech about how it's society's fault that he turned out the way he did before shooting Murray in the head. Uh, and then the film then proceeds to show a Gotham that views Joker as an anarchist hero, uh, a man who finally stood up, to the poor, stood up for the poor and disenfranchised to take out the elites, which uh, is mob violence, leads to the death of uh, Thomas Wayne, uh, and that's pretty much the end of the movie. Have I gotten all that right, guys? Yes. Uh, anything I missed out? No, not really. Okay. There's like the end part at where like afterwards we see his therapist, but right. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit. I think. Um, but yeah, so uh, that whole sequence is like kind of the uh, big climactic ending as where he really becomes the Joker. Uh, so what did you guys think of that whole sequence? I hated his whole speech on Murray Tonight Show. Yes, um, I did. Thank you. Because oh. that's the moment where Todd Phillips turns and talks to the camera about how uh, it's really the people that decide what's right and wrong and what's funny and what's not funny, and it's all their fault that I'm going to murder these people. Uh, it was like, <laughs> fuck off. Shut up, Todd Phillips. Nobody cares that the Hangover 3 sucks. Get over it. Like, I don't, That's what it feels like. If, it, if, if Todd Phillips hadn't said anything... Uh, where if he hadn't complained about people thinking he's not funny anymore and you can't be mean uh, and that equals funny, I would have probably disagreed with that speech but not have, not have had such a negative reaction to his speech, uh, to Joker's speech at the end there on the show where he complains about it's the PC police that made him do this. Okay. Uh, I, I feel like that's, uh, I mean, it's part. I think it's part of what his speech is about. I don't think that's the entire thing. I think it's mostly about how like the mentally ill have been like treated and stuff like that in society uh but again society is like the big word they keep tossing around like we're living in a society which always reminds me of the um the seinfeld episode where george costanza is like shouting you know we're living in a society 
We're supposed to act in a civilized way, uh, which is basically his speech at the end of the movie. Uh, yeah. But I, I also think, you know, there's, again, I mentioned there's like a big, a little bit of a push and pull towards the end, like a touch and go moment. And that's the moment I'm talking about where it almost seems like the movie is siding with the Joker in this speech. Right. Um, yeah. But I don't think it ultimately does. And I think that's the key there. Like, it's not, it's presented, presented out there because that's what the Joker thinks. Uh, and it's like saying, like, he's officially the Joker now. He doesn't believe in anything. Um, but, like, people are booing him throughout that speech. And then at the end of it, he shoots Robert De Niro in the head. Uh, so it's not like something like, like, I think it's clear that it's not endorsing that that speech. Like, it's not saying that's the correct viewpoint to have. Um, at least that was my take on it. I mean, I guess he, he, they, they, he sparks the revolution, you know, against the rich. Uh, but, uh, well, gets the, saved from the thing. I mean, like, yeah, it's bad in, in <laughs> quotes. But I don't know. It just it just felt very weird, and and I didn't like. I mean, there's the one line at the very end before he shoots Murray that I feel like is so fucking dangerous. Uh, where it's like, what do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society that treats him like trash? What you deserve, and then he shoots him. I was like, that's like fucking mass murderers literally write that shit right now. I don't need that in this movie. Like, I, I don't know. I just right, had such a visceral reaction that's who to the it. Jo- that, that's who the Joker is, though, in this movie, essentially. That's how they, they recontextualize <sighs> yeah. him in this movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that that's, you know, not great. But again, I don't think it's endorsing that by any means. Uh, because he, again, just shoots Robert De Niro in the head immediately afterwards. Uh, and honestly, that whole sequence at the end with the mob violence going on in Gotham... I was wondering how much of that was actually happening um, because this, this movie does establish uh, yeah. pretty early on that Arthur sees things that aren't there uh, where he imagines this entire relationship with Zazie Beats and he imagines people laughing at a stand-up show. Uh, and then at the very end of the movie, um, which Sam referred to earlier, uh, it shows him in the hospital with a therapist. Like a- after all this is said and done, he's in, he's in the hospital with a therapist uh, and he's talking about what happened. Um, but y- y- there's never like, and there's never any indication that he is fantasizing at the end of the movie, but I feel like the way it all plays out, um, I think everything up through him shooting De Niro in the head happened. Uh, but then afterwards, you know, like immediately there's people in the streets being like, yeah, the Joker's a, you know, vigilante hero or whatever. Uh, and people are like cheering for the Joker and they're like raising him from the car as if he's the Messiah or whatever. Uh, right. And I don't think any of that happened. I feel like that was all in his head, uh, you know, cause especially during the speech, during his whole speech. Like, he's getting booed. He's getting, like, people are yelling at him and people are freaking out when he, um, you know, shoots Robert De Niro uh, and stuff like that. So, I don't know. I, I feel like the whole ending, like, it depends on how you interpret it if you, if you think it's a fantasy or a reality or not. Um, but I think that does color how you would view the movie by the end of it, too. Throughout this movie, I wasn't rooting for the Joker. I was just wishing he would get like properly treated like i was hoping he'd be medic like i don't like i was like i'm rooting i'm rooting for this guy i was like no i was hoping this guy can probably medicate it that's what like <laughs> so in a, in a way that is touching on mental mental uh health and and like society and stuff because like the biggest things was like he's on seven different medications and like the fact that he's seeing things like you find out like again the twist like he re- hallucinated an entire relationship and you just keep seeing stuff and he has like like uncontrollable laughter thing so he's, like, always laughing at the most inappropriate times. And, like, his therapist or, like, his caseworker is not really a therapist, I guess, is not really getting through to him. So, like, I just kept thinking to myself, I wish this guy had proper mental health insurance or something like that so he could, like, get diagnosed. Because a lot of this might have been helped if he got that. Yeah, and it's tainted his view so much so that, like, he thinks he's the hero, which I guess is the point of the movie. But, like, he's not so much the hero or even an anti-hero. He's just... A person going through his shit and he's like taking it out on the world 
but isn't that, that that's what the Joker generally is, though? He's just this mass force of chaos without any actual goals in mind. Sort of. Like, he doesn't have, he, like, Joker typically doesn't have a worldview. He's just there to cause chaos. That's how he is in The Dark Knight. That's how he is uh, in most of his comics interpretations. Like, he doesn't, like, and that's, you know, he's he's a nihilist. He believes in nothing, Lebowski. He's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I feel like this movie does reflect that. And I think, you know, you mentioned the mental health um, aspect of the movie. Uh, and that's a genuine concern um, in, you know, current day society where, you know, every time there's a mass shooting, this the conversation always leads back to, well, should we get rid of guns? Probably, yes. But should we also treat that? It's, it's a mental health problem. It's like, okay, we'll treat that instead. And they're like, no. And it's like, right, come on, just do something. <laughs> uh, At least do like one thing. Yeah. Do like a thing, please. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess maybe, like, in comics, Joker always seemed a little more focused. Like, it actually, even though he was all about chaos and stuff like that, and not saying that he had a plan, but, like, his purpose was a little more pure. Like, it had, like it was maybe, like, involved in, with tied, maybe tying it with the with Batman so much gave Joker more of a, like, like a, I guess, a North Star or something to gore towards. Whereas this is kind of, like, it was kind of rambling and stuff like that. He was like, no one likes me, so, you know, I'm just angry. And, like, I get it, and I see what they were trying to do, but, like, it kind of just feels wrong like it almost like again it shouldn't have been called joker it should have been called something else and i maybe would have enjoyed the movie more because when you're trying to apply joker shit to it kind of like eh, eh, you know like it, just, <laughs> it doesn't the operation touch the side noise yeah yeah and like there's a scene in where like he confronts thomas wayne about him like i mean we're in spoiler territory so i can say this yeah part, right? yes he confronts thomas wayne in the bathroom and like all the stuff he's talking and i'm listening to thomas wayne talk and i'm like i mean for someone to come into the bathroom to talk to you after you already know that this is the person who was like ch- violently choked one of your servants and like was touching up on your son, Thomas is acting exactly how I would I would expect someone to act. <laughs> right. So it was, it was just like he's not like I I don't know like I, again this I don't think this movie should be called Joker. It, like okay. <laughs> fair fair enough. But I, I will say, I think as far as Thomas Wayne is concerned, um, he's in the movie played by Brad Cullen, and uh, you know he's the main representative of the Wayne family in the movie, and he's reimagined here as this sort of entitled billionaire running for political office. And it's like, hey, I wonder who that could be about. Um, yeah, but, right. the, <laughs> but but I think the Waynes being murdered at the end of the movie because of their privilege and not just in a random shooting, I think it actually does completely recontextualize Batman as we know it. Um, you know, because Bat- like Batman would understand, like, you know, Bruce Wayne would grow up knowing that his parents were killed in this sort of huge mob riot thing caused on by the Joker. You know, gave this whole speech about you know, the poor and disenfranchised rising up to eat the rich and that kind of thing, which, you know, normally, normally, weirdly, is in Eat the Rich story is Mike is all about that. But this, I don't, I don't it, think he has that story. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, finish your point no, yeah. But what, what I'm saying is, like, that's sort of, like, the, the idea is, like, he's trying to get rid of, like, the elites in a weird way. And he's trying to, like, you know, rise, rise up the poor and the poverty stricken in the movie. That's why Thomas Wayne is ultimately killed and Martha Wayne is also killed as a version. I, I think that recontextualizes Batman in an interesting way because Bruce Wayne would grow up knowing that and knowing what his fortune kind of uh, brought uh, upon his family. Uh, and I'd be fascinated to see a version of Batman that arises from that story, actually. I don't think we'll ever see it, um, but I think it actually sets up like a theoretical, really fascinating take on what Batman could be. Um, sorry, Mike, you were going to disagree with me? <laughs> I, just, I, I just don't think jokers or arthur whichever one you want to call it his ever his intended purpose is ever to cause that uh that that whole thing is foisted upon him he specifically rejects it on the murray show when he says i have no political stance right Um, i I don't think his purpose is to cause that but it kind of 
like that gets co-opted into his message i think yeah um, yeah after uh wayne says like well that's who these these poor people are they're a bunch of clowns and like right. that becomes the rallying cry uh kind of thing my point is like he doesn't really say that as much as like they kind of I'm not. I'm, I'm very much for the eat the rich kind of narrative. <laughs> yeah. Normally, I'm 100 percent about this. But like, they didn't do a good job of, of portraying the rich as like advantage taking people. Like, I mean, those dude bros on the train that was harassing the girl. Yeah, okay, I understand that. But like, Thomas wasn't saying like the stuff that he was saying wasn't totally off the cuff for something like they didn't make. They didn't do a good job establishing him as the, like the the rich villain. I guess. Okay. That I, you, like we're supposed to eat the rich and overthrow. Yeah, like, get ready I, or not. <laughs> Like in Ready or Not, or in real life. Um, I yeah. think we, <laughs> but I, I think the I, the idea... That, I think you're right about that. I think they should have done more with Thomas Wayne as a character if they were going to go that route. Um, but again, it's one of those ideas where the Joker, the Joker has a lot of ideas that's thrown out there. I think it hits the mark on a couple of them, and it misses on many, many more. Um, yeah. That's one of the ones that I think it misses on, but I think it goes for it. Um, and I appreciate it for that reason, at least. Uh, but yeah, I agree that Thomas Wayne um, probably should have been more explored, like explored more as a character if he was going to be implemented in this way. Uh, that said, the other major idea that Joker throws out there is the idea that Thomas Wayne um, is actually Arthur's father, which is something that his mother sincerely believes, but it's also clear that she has mental problems too. Um, but when he confronts Thomas Wayne about it, you know, Thomas denies it, tells him his mother is crazy and delusional, and then punches him in the face. And uh, the, the movie never like definitively answers it um, because Thomas Wayne is generally portrayed as kind of an asshole. Um, so, you know, Thomas could be lying, um, and just wanted to keep this under wraps because he's in his political campaign right now, or he could be telling the truth because, you know, the mother does have a history of mental illness. Uh, you know, there's, I think, a couple different ways that could go. So I think that's an interesting aspect of it. And honestly, like, that, like, when Joker, or when Arthur read the letter that she was writing to Thomas Wayne and said, like, oh, and I have your son or something, and he was like, uh, like, to me, that was like a gasp-worthy moment. I was like, holy shit, this is a, this is a really interesting take on, um, like, what they're doing here. Uh, and ultimately, it didn't factor into the movie all that much. Um, but for that, like, you know, 20-minute stretch where it does, I was like, hey, this is kind of interesting. It was kind of engaging, uh, at least in my perspective. What did you guys think of that whole story turn? Not to be weird, but one, I kind of saw it coming. They kind of hinted at it, like, the fact that she was so like, no, Thomas Wayne, he's the only way you can save us. He's a, he's a nice man. And you're just like, but why is he? Uh, and like, oh, 30 years ago. I wonder how old Arthur is. <laughs> 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 but then they were just like you get the reveal at the end, like later in the end where you found out his mother was also mentally just like mentally uh, ill and then like the whole torturing thing and like to find out he was adopted because that was in the folder right they also showed like yeah. adoption papers yeah oh, they find yes, adoption yeah. papers yeah yeah so like he's adopted and he was being abused and he's like and that's probably and the abuse that he suffered as a child is probably the reason why he's laughing now because he suffered massive damage to his head while he was being abused and he's like he never cried he was always laughing he probably well your boyfriend probably beat him so bad that he only laughs yeah yeah, yeah. I, I don't know i felt i i liked um i think i agree with him it felt like kind of telegraphed this movie does that a few times I think the Zazie Where... Beats thing is really telegraphed. Oh, um, yes. Man. That's, it's, and... uh, it's not even like, as soon as they like you know start making out in the doorway, it's like, yeah, they're, that's not happening. That's not a real thing yes. existing yeah. in the movie. Exactly. <laughs> Which Those is fine. exact like, words. I like that. Like, I was fine. Like, cause like, cause we already have established, we have the scene when he goes, like he imagines being called out of the audience on the Murray show. Uh, so like, okay, we know he has these delusions and stuff. Yes. Um, but then the reveal when Zazie Beat when he's in the, uh, apartment and she comes out of the room and she's like what the, you're in like who are you are you yeah. arthur from down the hall you're in the wrong apartment 
And then we have like the montage. We got a flashback and show us the scenes we saw 10 minutes ago or 20 minutes ago when she's not there. Um, I think it would have been a little bit more effective if we don't have that or we just have her reaction because the reaction tells us that that's all been fake. Um, right. So and, and does scene, a lot and, of stuff. And that scene, I think, is great, actually, when she yeah. comes out and sees him in the... For in the sure. Room. It's like, holy shit. Like, that's, it's a really intense sequence. And you, like, you really feel the danger there. You feel her, you feel her terror. And that's partially because Daisy Beats is a great actress who gets basically nothing to do in this movie except for that one scene. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think but, that's the moment, like, the night he decides to be the Joker. Uh, right. I forget exactly what happens. But he gets the shit kicked out of him, probably, and he's like, that's it. And then yeah. he goes into her apartment... <laughs> And you're like, oh, no, at this point, he's unhinged. Like, you know, you know, something's going to go down. So back to Sam's point, uh, it telegraphs, you know, that it's he's going to be his son, uh, that that Arthur is Thomas Wayne's son. But uh, like, uh, I thought that would have been interesting. It would have been cool. It would have added another twist to the relationship between Batman and Joker. As someone who's not very well versed, uh, like, you know, I don't have a deep connection to the, the history of these characters, per se. So it's fine that they're not. I guess this is a long, <laughs> the long-winded answer to that. I, th- I, th- I think it was a fun idea that it played with for a little while. Yeah, and it, it yeah, does yeah. result in a scene where Arthur goes to Wayne Manor, uh, finds young Bruce Wayne, who uh, slides down a bat pole on his playset, which is a nice yep. little, like, it was a fun yeah. little thing. I was like, yeah, that's, that's neat. Uh, Alfred's there too, uh, and you know they kind of have this like little confrontation, like he you know makes Bruce smile with his fingers, and it's very creepy, and you know he gets into a fight with Alfred, uh, and that whole sequence, you know, it's again. I, as far as this movie goes, I really, uh, I'm with Sam. I wish it wasn't called Joker and it was just like a separate thing where it didn't have anything to do with any Batman stuff. But as far as like playing around with different like, you know, Batman iconography, I think it does a pretty decent job of like doing something different with it. Yeah. Um, so I appreciated it for that. Uh, and I think the sequences with the Joker killing people, they're tense and well-constructed. I think the train sequence is pretty great uh, with the Wall Street guys where they're like f- like fleeing for their lives. Um, yeah. And he's like, got like, snaps. Uh, and then there's a moment where he kills his old coworker in the apartment, uh, which is uh, yeah. very dark, uh, you know, and I, it's very intense. Uh, and you know, I, I found I found myself, you know, I I was I, I don't know if I was scared of Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. I probably was. Like I was, you know, like I was I was into it. I was engaged by the movie in any case um, with those sequences. Um, yeah, that scene uh, awkwardly had the biggest laugh in my audience, and I was so <laughs> fucking mad uh, or disappointed, just disappointed. Yeah. I think because there's another scene earlier that is uh, went after they're at the hospital and Arthur gets confronted by the police and he has this big dramatic like last last line in the thing and he walks into a glass door <laughs> and my uh, theater was just stone silent like dead silence during the, during uh, the walk through the glass door yeah they, when he hits the glass that's, door that's, nobody that's, even that's the biggest laugh of the movie <laughs> mine wasn't it was when uh, the short person can't the little person can't reach the lock on the door and I was like this uh, is what Todd Phillips comedy <laughs> is it's mean it's mean shit it's people being mean to each other and it's funny punching shit. down yes yeah. uh, and I, I don't know that's sure. that made me it's, mad it's, it's a mean spirited joke but I think it fits for like this mean spirited character almost like it's a, it's a darkly comic yeah. it's a darkly comic moment um, and I think in the moments, uh, it's you know, it's you know, it, it gets an uncomfortable chuckle out of me. I think when I'm watching it because like you, under, like the context of the scene around it, like that situation is kind of funny. Yeah, you know, but I, it's literal biggest like burst out loud laughing in my yeah, theater. That's weird. Like, what that's the weird. fuck is wrong with these people? <laughs> uh, but yeah, speaking of uh, you know weird comic moments, hey, Mark Maron's in this movie. Um, yeah, for, for like a quick scene, uh, which Where? was weird, which was weird because he had a statement like. Um, a couple of days ago, like decrying Todd Phillips's uh, weird yeah. statements about PC culture and stuff, which was kind of interesting. Uh, also, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but Justin Theroux is in this movie. 
Okay, point out both of those characters. Like, okay. please. Uh, Mark Maron was, um, he, well, Mark Maron's, like, there pr- pretty prominently in the scene. He um, shows up with Robert De Niro in the dressing room. Um, He's, like, the assistant. Oh, wow. Yeah. How did I not notice that? Yeah, that was Mark Holy Maron. Holy crap. Uh, Meanwhile, Justin Theroux has a wordless two-second cameo, and it's, it's it's literally like a blink and you'll miss a thing. But he's a guest on one of Murray's shows that Joaquin is watching on TV. That's um, amazing. And it's like and it's like it's literally like it's the TV is distorted and everything, and I, and like the, the guy walked out, and it wasn't Justin Theroux's name, but like you know, Rob Nero was like, and now actor, this guy or whatever, and the guy walked out, and like it's fuzzy, and I was like, is that is that Justin Theroux? <laughs> like, is it the one he watches on the like the VHS of? Yeah, I think it's that one. Yeah, okay. and you see the guy walking out, uh, and it's like a two-second thing. He has no lines, but like I, I saw that, and I and I couldn't tell for sure. But I was like, that that really kind of like it's static. Yeah, I can't actually tell, but it looks like Justin <laughs> Thoreau. And then I looked it up, and it was Justin Thoreau. And I was like, this is so That's weird. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so he's making a career of weird wordless cameos in big blockbuster movies yeah. after, between this and Star Wars: the Last Jedi. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah. Any, any other spoilery thoughts you guys have about Joker, guys? Any other scenes you wanted to point out? One of my favorite scenes that actually kind of laughed a little, like not in the theater, but like in my head, yeah. is like it, this is after the uh, it, when he breaks into the other person's apartment. And she's like, "We'll get out of here" and stuff like that. He's like hearing the answer machine play all these like messages, and he's like systematically taking stuff out of the fridge. And then yeah. he like he just like I'm like, what is he doing? What is? He? And then he just gets in the fridge, and I'm just like. <laughs> brilliant <laughs> i really <laughs> thought they were gonna pull like he's been dead since that moment uh twist was, at the end i was waiting like uh, actually somebody tweeted something like that where it's like yeah the entire rest of the movie is a dream after he uh after he gets <laughs> in the fridge right that's gotta be what happened uh but yeah there was that sequence there's the sequence where he uh, ends up killing his mom in the hospital which is uh, pretty yeah. uh disturbing to watch and also like I-, I think the dumbest line of the movie which is in all the trailers uh is the one where he's like i used to think my life was a tragedy but now i know it's a comedy or whatever and like maybe like, maybe it's not that dumb of a line, but because I've heard it so many times, I'm like, it's lost all meaning. Uh, it's fucking dumb. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a great line. I think, And, you know, I think it's one of those lines where you hear it the first time and you're like, hmm, that's sort of profound. And then you hear it a couple more times and it's like, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> which is... <laughs> Which is how I feel like to, which is how I feel like Joker as a movie like that that represents Joker as a movie to me. It's like it, you watch it the first time and it's like hmm, there's some interesting ideas going on there. I think there are some interesting ideas, but like it's not saying anything with them, and it's just aping better movies. Uh, so yeah, there is that. So my my official review of Joker is go watch King of, King of Comedy because King of Comedy is awesome. My uh, my thing I wish I had wish this movie was uh, told from the point of view of Shea Wiggum and the cop from The Night of. Um, <laughs> just as the two detectives trying to figure out how these three guys got killed on the subway, right? Because um, they're great. I want Shea Wiggum and everything is what I'm saying. Shea Wiggum's awesome. Yeah. So you're saying, so you're saying you basically just want Gotham the TV show um, investigating Joker? <laughs> no, but yes, but no. <laughs> A better version of that, please. Yeah. Okay. There we go. <laughs> and one other thing about the movie is that I mean, it is. A DC movie. It does not start with the DC logo, by the way. I don't know if you guys noticed that. The DC logo oh, yeah. did not appear at the beginning of the movie. It actually started with the old classic Warner Brothers logo, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I always love seeing that. But uh, yeah, it did not start with the DC logo, and it is completely disconnected from the whatever DC universe is happening right now. That's in a state of flux. We don't actually know <laughs> like, how that universe the, exists on film right now. The alleged DC universe. The, <laughs> the alleged <laughs> DC universe. That should be what they call it going forward. It's. it's <laughs> Yeah, some of these movies connect when we want them to, I guess. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
you know, uh, Harley Quinn is still going to be in Birds of Prey, but Jared Leto as the Joker, not going to be in there anymore, but we're making this other Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix that is completely unrelated to everything that uh, we've done. <laughs> Just very, very strange. Um, but yeah, so I, I, and I appreciate that it is a completely standalone thing. Like, if there's never... I, I don't expect there to be a follow-up to Joker. It made a lot of money over the weekend, and I'm sure Warner Brothers would love there to be one. Um, but I know Joaquin Phoenix is, is the kind of actor, like, the reason he did this is because it was kind of a one-and-done deal for him. Uh, you know, he almost played Doctor Strange back in the uh, back when they were casting for that movie, and he didn't do it because he would have had to do a bunch of movies, uh, yeah. which he didn't want to do. Uh, so Joker appealed to him because it was like, hey, it's a one-and-done thing. But now that it made a lot of money, he's talking about, like, oh, well, maybe there's like a way we could explore more with the character or whatever so we'll see what happens i i ultimately doubt there will be a follow-up to this it feels like a very standalone work but i'd be interested again i'd be interested to see what they do in the future again because like i was saying with um with bruce wayne's parents i think it could like recontextualize the entire myth of batman uh in an interesting way if they decided to follow up and actually have batman down the road or if they just wanted to make another joker movie where joker's attacking people or something uh i don't know but uh in any case any final thoughts on joker guys before we start wrapping this up I actually like how Joker Joaquin Phoenix dances. I think that's a very good... Like, he does a lot of dancing in this movie. He does. And, like, there's this one scene where he's, like... The first time he has a gun and he's, like, dancing. And oh, he's just, yeah. And he's just like, you know who can't dance well? Him. And he shoots the gun off by mistake. And that actually had the best laughs in my theater. That okay. scene. Yeah. But, like, he does a lot of dancing. And you know what? It fits the zaniness but scariness of the Joker. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I, I, I enjoy, I mean, Walking Phoenix, I'll watch him do anything for two hours, so watching him dancing <laughs> is, uh, is perfectly fine. Uh, Mike, any last thoughts on the Joker? Uh, just watch Death Wish instead. Because <laughs> yeah. it feels more, I mean, it is like straight up Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, like we keep saying. Yeah. Uh, but also feels much more akin to uh, Death Wish for me. Like those kind of vigilante justice type movies from the 70s? Yeah. You're saying? Okay. Yeah, but like yeah. shitty. But like a light, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, all right, so yeah, and I am in the unenviable position of being the one guy in on the podcast who liked Joker, and that's cool. <laughs> I, there I feel like it's been one. a while since it's, we've it's had a disagreement. Like a real disagreement. Like usually our disagreements are like, I like this movie. Well, I like this movie more. Um, <laughs> uh yeah so it's it's been a while since uh it's been this case it's probably it was probably alita battle angel actually was the last time we really disagreed i think this, you're right this yeah. much on a movie uh but all right so that was a good podcast guys uh sam thanks so much for joining us thanks for having me of course uh if people want to find you online this week where can they do that uh you can find me at uh the rapture press presents the review zoo where i put you know podcasts on the air and try to make them sound enjoyable uh you can find me on twitter <laughs> at uh, uh endswell 57 and i think that's it i have an instagram but i've i check that once a quarter so don't <laughs> the fiscal year every once every fiscal year um, yeah. <laughs> uh cool cool yeah the reviews are available pretty much wherever podcasts are apple podcasts or spotify or whatever uh all right mike uh, where can we find you online this week you can find me at MDFilmBlog on Twitter and MDFilmBlog on Letterboxd. And you can find me at MSmithFilmBlog on Twitter, uh, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and all of our podcasts and stuff over at Rapture Press. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DiCrescio, and that is Sam Harper. Uh, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at Mike and Mike Go to the Movies at gmail.com. You can find the rest of our podcasts over on Rapture Press alongside the Review Zoo. Uh, so scheduling is a little all over the place for the next episode of Mike and Mike, since Mike D is going on vacation pretty soon. 
uh, where are you going? Whoops. You're spending like a week in the cabin in the woods or whatever? Basically, or yeah. yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, it's his 40th birthday, so he was like, fuck it. And he rented a house out in western Pennsylvania for a week. Uh, so we're just going to go drink and play board games for a week, nice. basically. Are, are you still planning your uh, your double feature movie bar- movies all day, uh, all week long? Is that the plan, or what's the? Uh, I haven't done seven of them because I, I I don't know if people are going to want to do it. Um, okay. But I've got a few. I got a few lined up. Nice, uh, very cool. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah. So we'll figure out the schedule um, pretty soon, but we we can guarantee that you will get an off mic uh, very soon on El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, uh, which is going to be yes. a new sequel-ish movie to Breaking Bad, uh, which is coming out this Friday on Netflix. I'm very excited about that. Uh, I'll actually be seeing it in theaters uh, over Ooh. at the, uh, the Roxy Theater, the indie theater near my house in Missoula, Montana. Uh, <laughs> so that's actually the title on the marquee yeah. of the theater. <laughs> <laughs> the indie theater near Mike Smith's house in Missoula, yes. Montana. It says that. Uh, and I may enlist the help of uh, one of our frequent guests to have a discussion on the podcast while Mike's gone about uh, Zombieland Double Tap. So we'll see uh, how that goes. But uh, anyway, plus you can keep an eye out for the next Complete Works, which will see us tackling Nicolas Cage in a 2018 VOD thriller called 211 or 211. I, I still don't know which it's supposed to be. We'll find out when we watch the movie. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, all right. So, again, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's episode of Mike Might Go to the Movies. Sam, once again, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, of course. And that's it for us. We'll see you on the other side. Come along and hang with us. Mike and-